0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network from across the stars. Commanders Michael Cohen, Matthew Krenke, and their ragtag crew are here to bring you stories of adventure and excitement from a galaxy far, far away. Get ready for tales of merciless bounty hunters, courageous heroes, and
1: sinister villains. From the Core Worlds to the Outer Rim and beyond, Buckle up, baby. It's about to get faster, more intense. Hello there and welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian Chapter 8 Redemption. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and joining me, I've got two out of three of Star Wars The Saga Continues. With uh, we got Tim Jirasi and Paul Herman. How's it going, guys? Paul, are we the dyad of the saga continues?
0: Oh, <laughs> Yes, yes.
1: And oh. and Kyle is the Finn, where it's yeah. like it's oh, like he's kind of got the force, but like
0: does when he? It comes to, when <laughs> it comes around Skywalker, he definitely kind of has a force because I think he likes it the least between me and uh, Tim here. So yeah, yeah. In that yeah. case, yes. <laughs> Sorry, um, Kyle. <laughs> awesome.
1: I uh, we just had a really great half an hour conversation about rise of Skywalker and it turned into free maker adventures and resistance talk as well. But, um, I, I'm going to tag it on towards the end of the episode. I, I I'll, I'll figure out how to cut that in there uh, so that you guys can hear it. But, um, this week we're here to talk about the season one finale of the Mandalorian. Um, which I just, uh, this is the first time I think that I've talked to you guys uh, about this. Really, um, how do you feel about the Mandalorian in general, about the whole series?
0: Well, for me, I I, I love it. I mean, I, I don't think this is. It goes. I'm at out a out line saying this that I think the Mandalorian is universally loved by a majority of Star Wars fans, and I think mm-hmm. that in in high in in retrospect, with all we've gotten with the Last Jedi and, and the Rise of Skywalker, and how those two movies have just been very divisive of, of amongst the fan base of either which side do you fall on? Mm-hmm. And and very few people kind of love both. Uh that being said, the Mandalorian seems to have it, you know me you may not love Love It mm-hmm. the same as you love the saga films or whatever, but I think most people as a whole are really enjoying the series. And I think that for me I love it. I, it. It really tickles a a part of Star Wars that we haven't really gotten really mm-hmm. maybe besides Solo, and it, it really has delivered everything. It's I mean has it been flawless? No, but at the same time it has. It's not like that far off. I don't think either to be honest. And there's a couple things you could nitpick, but really as a whole, it's it really it really captures a, a part of Star Wars that you haven't really seen before, while also being star Wars and keeping that authenticity that you could easily lose if you're not doing it, doing it right. Which I mm-hmm. think that we, we, a lot of people have debated with the saga films. Maybe have not always been that way for them. Whereas I think the Mandalorian has, and I, I, I just have adored the season. So many great episodes. I mean, I, I have not really disliked a single episode at all. And I, mm-hmm. I, I say that seriously and I like some episodes more than others. Sure. But for the most part, they, the ones I, I will say, like episode seven, uh, I wasn't like in love with that episode. I saw it once and I never saw it again because it was right before Rise of Skywalker and mm-hmm. life got busy and Christmas. And I never got around to see it the second time until we started doing I knew how to do, do the reviews. I started re- rewatching it. And I, as I've rewatched it a couple times now, I'm like, man, it's a really good episode. And mm-hmm. it, so it really has gotten better on rewatch. So for me that this show is just, it, it's an all timer and it really has shown that star Wars is more than Jedi and Sith and that the Mandalorian and, the, yeah. and the, those characters are that they, they are marketable and people now are 100% sold behind them.
1: Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Tim, what about you? How, how how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's pretty much going to
2: have to agree with everything. What Paul said there, yeah. I mean, I was super excited about it going in and, It just exceeded expectations, to be honest. I said that from episode one, just with the reveal of Baby Yoda, what that could mean, not only for the series, but just the Star Wars saga as a whole. And then it just continued to grow and grow and just exceed my expectations in certain episodes. I just because you kind of had an idea what it was going to be going into it. And while it still was, you know, that lone gunslinger having that Western feel to it, but it was just so much more than that. The relationship and the bond between Man- the mandalorian and baby yoda that we got in this series has been phenomenal and then just the stuff that it's bringing to the table in star wars as far as bringing in stuff we knew that's been established already with mandalorian culture and it's go- getting more into that And then just the possibilities of what we're going to get and yeah. we'll get into this more within this particular episode But For just sure. what the future of this series could be now was kind of so different than what I thought <laughs> going into the show, but I love it even more in the direction that they took it, and so yeah, it's a huge success for the first ever live-action Star Wars series in my book, and I just love it to death. I mean, just how great is it that, you you mentioned, Michael, we just had this big conversation on the rise of Skywalker, and before, that would just be the only thing of Star Wars there is to talk about, but Mm -hmm. we got that, and we got this series that's also amazing (laughs) to discuss, too. It's just such an amazing time right now that we're getting both of these great things for star wars so yeah i'm just loving this time that we're in right now
1: yeah i yeah i I, i'm i'm in agreement with both of you guys uh it's funny though because i think that the general audience out there that doesn't fully get star wars i think it's very similar to solo where it's like i if you are a hardcore star wars fan um i think that i solo should be right up everybody's alley i think i just tweeted this that that people like people don't i, I think i tweeted it at you paul um that like you
0: did, yeah. there
1: are some star wars fans that don't get that they should love solos but like like there's a masters of Terrorist kazi joke in uh, there. Yeah. like like that's that is the deepest cut you can get and yep. and Mandalorian I know, I was the only one who laughed at that in my theater like
2: no one else gets yeah, that Come me too <laughs> me
1: too i uh, mandalorian does the same thing because like there are deep cuts into the the holiday special um all over this series not just not just in the first episode not just here and there but like all over this this season there have been like these these deep cuts to the first appearance of boba fett the first mandalorian that we know right and uh, I it, it just it shows that, that um I think this is the biggest difference between it and and Rise of Skywalker is that um, Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams are big Star Wars fans, but they are not hardcore Star Wars fans in the mm-hmm. way that that some of these these guys that, that have worked on. I mean, like I think that that um, Jake Kasdan. Is a hardcore Star Wars fan, uh, which is funny considering like his his father is responsible for a lot of the stuff that we really, really, truly love about Star Wars. Um, it's why I'm really excited about Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is a different podcast entirely. But it's like it Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to be the solo of Ghostbusters, and uh, and I'm really excited about that.
0: Wow!
1: I, I but I. Like you see it with like Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni that beyond the fact that they work on Star Wars, they are both like hardcore about it. And I think that like we're really lucky that Jon Favreau, I, I, it's so much, there's no such thing as coincidence, right? But I, I, in my experience, there's no such thing as luck as Obi-Wan would say. John Favreau and Dave Filoni being at Skywalker Ranch at the same time in 2007, um, working on on Clone Wars and Iron Man, led to them working together on Clone Wars, which led to John Favreau uh, being able to to come into Lucasfilm and and do what he's done with this series, but not just the ability to do it, an understanding of what he's taking on, and knowing that even though he might be um, the top of the of 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 the the pecking order when it comes to this show, he's not the the authority when it comes to Mandalore um, or Star Wars in general. Uh, if you're working with Dave Filoni, like that's, I, uh, it's it's like some random Jedi teaming up with with Qui Gon Jinn and being like or. or you know uh, uh, Obi Wan and be like, oh yeah, no, you guys like like Yoda trained, and then like here's like the lineage of like oh you trained directly under the 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 original master. So like mm-hmm. Dave Filoni knows Star Wars backwards and forwards better than I think any human being on the planet, and I I've said this on on Rebel Cells and Frontlines in the past, better than George, because George knows what's in his head and what's in his heart when it comes to Star Wars. But George does not know what everybody else has done. He knows pieces of it. But he doesn't, like, like, like I don't think that George Lucas, like, has Dark Empire, like, memorized. <laughs> right? He well, knows right, that, like, yeah. yeah, they did a comic book at some point where there was a clone of the Emperor. I'm sure that he knows that. But he doesn't know, like, the finer points of that story. Um Whereas like a guy like Dave Filoni, it's like before he started working on Star Wars, he was consuming Star Wars, so and and like in a way that we consume Star Wars. So having him on on this show, and I think um, if if people haven't watched the episode of Chef, uh, the Chef Show where uh, John Favreau is at Lucas at Skywalker Ranch, um, yeah. <laughs> and 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 Dave Filoni comes in in the middle of that episode. Um, and and they start talking about Star Wars. You can see that they amp each other up, like it's, mm. it's they they're a dyad in the force, the, ah. the two of them. <laughs> like when they come together, it's like Dave starts talking about stuff, and. I, we know. We're Star Wars fans. We know that sometimes somebody will ask a question like, hey, so I just saw Rise of Skywalker and there's this one part that I'm like, I'm a little bit curious about. And and they and somebody will ask you a question. You'll go, okay, well here we go. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the Clone Wars. I'm going to talk about Star Wars Rebels. I'm going to talk to you about this comic book over here, this novel. And then by the end of it, they have this glossed over look on their face of like, I don't know what you just said to me. I just wanted <laughs> to know why Poe's X-Wing is solid orange instead of black this time. And you're like, oh sorry i just you know like i i my brain clicks into mode and i just start talking about star wars um please listen to my podcast i you can you can tell that like when dave found john that it was like oh you'll listen you're listening to everything that i'm saying not only are you listening but you're like also building on top of what i'm saying and so like the two of them together i think like come together to make something that's some pretty perfect star wars and season 1 is like it's like the amuse bouche it's just like this little appetizer of like we're going to give you a little sample of everything we're going to do with this show over the over its lifetime um and that's why it's like i think some people are like wait what is the tone of this show what is well, like, what's the focus? Why, how come it's like the first three episodes are about this Baby Yoda thing, and then we have three episodes where we go off into the galaxy and explore the galaxy, then we come back? Why wouldn't you just make the whole season continuous? And it's like, well, because it's Star Wars, and it's going to be about a lot more than just these two characters. Um, it's going to be about how these two characters influence a galaxy. Um, and, and then by the end of this episode, we realize, oh, this is going to be about how mandalore is restored like that's what this is a redemption arc for the mandalorians um and and sort of righting the wrongs of, of 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 death watch and and pre-vizsla and stuff like that like it, and and everything that happened with darth maul and the clone wars and stuff like that like that all led to their destruction to their ruin and now we're gonna see them rising phoenix from the ashes right um that uh, like there's so many things in this season that it's just like oh they're just giving us these little sprinkles, just these little tiny tastes of yep. what the series is gonna be and what it's gonna mean for the larger Star Wars mythology, which, to go back to what you were saying Tim, that's not that's not what this series was pitched as, this series was pitched as a gunslinger a lone gunslinger out in the in the the sort of lawless breaches of the outer rim. It's like, okay, cool. So we're just going to get, we're just going to get like action and maybe some like cool character moments, but um, this isn't going to be connected to anything. This isn't going to be part of a larger plan. This certainly isn't going to be timed really well with the movie release and just before the final season of Clone Wars, which is actually going to answer a bunch of the questions from this show. (laughs) It's not going to tie all the way back into... Uh, season 3 of Star Wars Rebels and give us some closure on some of those storylines. That's not what this is going to be. This is going to be a completely different thing. Everybody wants it to be Game of Thrones for Star Wars uh, and that is not what we got. That's 100% not what we got. What we got is the continuation of Dave Filoni's legacy with star Wars of just building these incredible mythologies and tying all of this stuff together. So we're going to somehow in season two, we're going to get closer to, I think that we're going to get at least three or four seasons out of this show in season so. two. And I won't be surprised if we get an announcement that season two is more than eight episodes, that it's, that it's a longer season. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there's potential with that because I think that there's so much demand for the show yeah. and that it kept, was, you know again, they and they kind of saw the reaction as they're filming and they yeah. probably could have you know kept going and saw their, and even the pre-reaction they they knew they had a surefire hit I, on yeah, their hands. I mean, i
1: I think when they finished filming those first three episodes, it was like and knowing where because it was written, knowing where it's going. yeah, it's like, no, this is going to be something special and this is gonna hit hit with the audience. Um, you got. You got to.
0: Really fast. Really quick, yeah. Michael. Talk. To, to piggyback a little bit off of Favreau and 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 Feloni. I think that this. We might be seeing how important this series is for the future of Star Wars, mm-hmm. just based on those two creatives alone, and what they could mean for Star Wars going forward. Yeah. You know, and I think this is just the the start of it, and I think that. I, I'm very curious what the next. Three, four years hold as far as what happens with them in Star Wars. And I'm not saying they're going to take over next month or you know, next year even. But I think in three to four years, if if they keep improving this series and, and let's say Kathleen stays on for a little bit longer than, you know, she's planning on right now or whatever her contract says, they could be prepping Favreau and Filoni to be taking over just live action star Wars mm-hmm. in general. And I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility because you could tell Favreau kind of has his hands in a lot of different things, but with Filoni, he is a Star Wars expert, like you said, and I think that that should not. And I think, if again, if Mandalorian keeps being as giant, huge as it is, because even rewatching these episodes, there's so many things, so many things that are, that are obviously Dave Filoni, yeah. like and to bring up the, the episode seven, the transport vehicle that comes in and drops off all those stormtroopers. I mean, that was you have that has to be Dave Filoni. Yeah, because he's the one that introduced it into Rebels. Like, oh, we gotta put this in here, and he put that into the Mandalorian. It was incredible, and well, and again, it's a ri- it's originally a toy, <laughs> exactly. Right? And like, so yeah. and it's the, it's it's so it's an Easter egg for the fans. We all freak out about it, but yeah. here's the beauty of people say fan service is wrong, and I, I think that there is a balance. Yeah, and the reason why Dave Filoni gets it because when he does fan service, the regular people that don't know that it's a toy that don't know what it is, they still think it looks cool because he does it right. Yeah. And that's the difference. When you can do fan service that both serves the hardcore fan base, but yet serve the regular fan base and make them still like, what was that? It doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a stupid rebel transport, whatever. <clears throat> or you have a salacious scrum lizard monkey, you know, Kwaki, Kwaki and a lizard monkey being toasted on top of the thing. Yeah, yeah. maybe regular huh. fans will get that, but we do, and we all think it's hilarious. But it still serves a purpose of like, oh no, there's like these creatures and like, look at their, their they have, it, you know, it's served multiple purposes, and it still, you still get a, a double effect from it. And that's what Dave Filoni has shown in the cartoons and now in live action that he's able to introduce. Because we, I mean, as much as I love John Favreau, he's not that much of a fan. I mean, he is, but he's not as much as you said, as Dave Filoni as mm-hmm. being immersed in it. So he's like the Those two, as far as their connection, obviously they like each other. They're buds. They've got a good re- working relationship, and it's obvious. Because just seeing them together and Star Wars Celebration, and I, I saw—I never forget when I, I was there live for the Mandalorian panel, and I just could not believe how good that panel was because they were just them. It was just them talking and yeah. and, and hosting. And I, I saw people on Twitter being saying like, "Oh, I wish someone else was hosting." I'm like, "You guys are insane. This is like, yeah. it's it, yeah." Was it structured the best? No, I, I'll fr- I'll freely admit that. But what I love about it, it it was two guys saying like, "We don't need it. We want to do it ourselves." It was their strict passion. Yeah. Or wh- why they did it. And that to me means more than having someone read a cue card any day of the week to them. Yeah. So yeah, I-, I love the relationship and I think this, this series as a whole is potentially not just like these characters, but the series of creatives behind it is the future of star Wars, them and the directors they've chosen.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I think so. I'm yeah. Cause to, to know that Deborah Chow is peeling off of this to go, I uh, shoot uh, Kenobi, Oh man, we're in 2020 now. It's 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 2020. We are in the year of of production beginning on uh, I, I, the the Kenobi series, and she's going to direct every episode of that. And I she directed two of the best episodes of this season for the Mandalorian. Um, having her peel off to do that, um, I think having having Taika Waititi come in and do the season finale, the the episode that we're talking about today, um, I give them a little taste of star Wars. I don't think that, that Taika is going to, going to walk away. I I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get a a series or a movie from Taika Waititi at some point in the star Wars galaxy. Um, yeah. And just, I'm like, I'm curious, like who are they going to bring in in season two? Um, I think that there's more from Bryce Dallas Howard that we could see. Um, yeah. Like the, like the, just there's like powerhouses that they've, that they brought in on this show. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so, um, like invigorating for star Wars. And I think like you're saying, like, this is what it needs right now. Um, I think that the movies are too high profile. (laughs) I think that's kind of the problem. Uh, and I think that, that the MCU has ruined everything for everybody because Kevin Feige has somehow, whether it's uh, Divine Providence or A Deal with the Devil or whatever it is, there is some supernatural force making that series of films as good as it is. And it can't last forever, but, um, but it's been a pretty impressive run so far. Um, and I think it's made everybody else's opportunity to create a franchise I, I, that much more difficult. Um, so Star Wars is is being compared to that level of storytelling and uh, and as as I think we've all talked about on various podcasts, the sequel trilogy suffers the most from not having a cohesive plan uh, like a game plan, a structure from beginning to end. Um, you knew you were making three movies. why didn't you figure out where you were going before you started so that then everybody could be on the same page and we don't even have to have a conversation about, did Ryan ignore JJ? Did JJ ignore Ryan? Do they not get along? What's going on there? Um, if 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 you had a plan, if you had somebody um, sort of holding people to it, uh, that those movies might have been a little bit more of a cohesive unit of storytelling. Um,
0: but I think but I, to, to go, <laughs> talk about the Kevin Feige things, I think that, yeah. because I, this is where I think you could kind of correlate The Mandalorian, kind of bring it all together. I think the reason why the Mandalorian is so good is because of the definitive vision that people like Favreau. Like Favreau's still a producer on these Marvel films. Yep. What Kevin Feige, and, and again, this is coming from and I'm I don't want to call myself myself a Marvel expert, but I, I know Marvel very well. And especially the MCU, because I podcast about it on a regular basis. Yeah. And I, I will say that I think Kevin knowing Kevin Feige and what he's done, he's able to put the right people in the place. And 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 also have vision and know yeah. when to go and with the flow and whatnot and, and whatever. like That's a Kevin Feige thing. And he's yeah. he's got a formula. And now I would argue that that formula definitely treads on similar things mm-hmm. on every film. You could definitely say that. But as far as the big heavy hitters like the Avengers Infinity War, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, the, he's he's nailed. And he but he's also there's been that vision. But I think the Mandalorian is is kind of like that same thing. And and Favreau kind of coming from Marvel and having that experience and working as a producer, yeah. as again, having that experience working under Kevin Feige and working with him and having a lot of power within that as well. I think you see the benefits of that in the Mandalorian of being planned out. But I also can see a lot of restructuring. And, and obviously, because we all know that Jon Favreau wrote season one, right? Yeah. But we, But then we see that... Um, John, or uh, excuse me, uh, Dave Filoni wrote an episode, I believe. Right? Uh yeah. He wrote the uh, the prisoner, the, right? The the one with the where they go back to Tatooine. They um, yeah. The I Gunslinger. The Yeah. Gunslinger. Gunslinger. Yeah. Gunslinger. Yeah. And they also we have uh, Christopher Yost and um, Rick Fiumeamo. Like, yeah. Right. Writing the writing the uh, the prisoner. So obviously he came in, and and this is where I think they probably said, "We need more episodes." Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. You guys write more episodes. Mm-hmm. I think there's a freedom. And this is where, again, I talk about the future of the hist- of, of Star Wars. I think this is where it goes because I think that it comes back to, yes, having vision, but having the right people who know what vision to have is yeah. so critical. That's more important to me because we all know Lucas, he flew by the seat of his pants too a lot of times. Not every time. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I always – but I'd always, I'd always say it's a give and take with that argument because you can always say, yes, the original trilogy was not planned out. You are correct. But – it came from one person that knew kind of what he wanted and how to structure it. Yeah. So it all had a similar kind of feel to it. And the prequel trilogy, the same thing. So you can't really, you can say that to an extent, but you have to have some kind of, again, a comeback, like who's going to be the, ultimately the, the be all end all in the sequel trilogy. We got three different or two different end alls. That's JJ and Ryan. And you get what you get. So, but the Mandalorian is that, obviously Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, it's probably Jon Favreau as, as the be all end all, but obviously Filoni having a tremendous amount of influence mm-hmm. and, and having a great, and because of their great working relationship, they've put out probably some of the best star Wars ever. So mm-hmm. yeah, Tim, I mean, you haven't said anything in a while. What, what what's your, <laughs> thing
2: no, just because I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying too, just how not only good the show is, but we've talked about this for so long too, just how it could potentially, what it could potentially mean for the future. Of Star Wars and I just strongly think that the future like you said this too Paul even before the show was even on that it's going to be on TV and with the movies after The Rise of Skywalker not knowing when exactly the next movie is coming because I know they previously announced the years for like 2022 and 2024 or 5 I I think it was like 3 or every 2 years but I don't think we're getting one in 2022 now after Benioff and Weiss have left. so I think they're really going to take their time now with the movies and for the next foreseeable future in this decade now that we're in 2020, it's going to be star Wars on TV for a while. And if it's anything like the Mandalorian, I mean, that's okay with me because <laughs> just talking about how great it is. And maybe not all the TV shows are going to get, are, some are going to be better than others, obviously, but if they're just kind of have that similar style and feel and that general quality that the Mandalorian has shown over the course of this first, first season, star Wars is still going to be in a pretty great place to me when you have these people involved with it. So yeah, just the future for star Wars is still as bright as ever to me is when we're, even though we're closing one chapter of this new era for star Wars. Now that the sequel trilogy is done, I'm excited to know what's coming from the movies, but at the same time I am perfectly fine. at just being super excited with these stories we're going to get in star Wars on TV because of the Mandalorian and just the care. And that was put into the show by Dave Filoni and John Favreau and Mm -hmm they're not going to be involved with every show but i kind of wish that was the case where there was maybe just on the tv front or like you're saying the live action front if live action star wars is going to be tv for a while maybe they will make a change where there will be someone overseeing everything for live action star wars and if that's just tv for a while maybe that's something that either john favreau or dave filoni can oversee without you know and with still being involved with a lot of hands-on with the actual series that like such as the mandalorian that they launched so yeah it's gonna be an exciting time but i'm here for it because of just what this series has proven of what star wars and tv can do and it's been amazing so far
1: yeah i i i think one of the keys here and and to end to sort of bring it back to the to the mcu comparison um, I think the, the period that we're in right now is the, is very similar to, uh, to the beginning of, of, uh, phase two of, of, uh, uh of the MCU where I, there was a little bit of rockiness in there. It was a little bit weird. And, yeah, uh, I agree to that. All the stuff with Thor: Dark World, all of the stuff with Ant Man, that's when all, a lot of that happened. They got really lucky with Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn because that could have gone the way that the Josh Trank Star Wars film went, or the way that Ant Man went, right? Because James Gunn has a style, but I think understood a little bit more about he he was right on that line. Like he could have he could have flipped either way, of of I'm gonna do what I want. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to go my own way or I'm going to do what I want, but I'm going to also toe the, the, the company line. Right. Um, and I think that, that Kathleen Kennedy in in her attempt to do something um, bold with Star Wars, that she she wrote a few blank checks and handed them to the wrong people. Josh Trank being one of them, Colin Trevorrow being one of them, um, and I'll I'll even say giving Ryan Johnson free reign in the way that he was given free reign I think is ultimately a mistake. It created mm-hmm. one of my favorite Star Wars movies, but I understand how from a from a larger franchise perspective and certainly from a business perspective that and the Lord and Miller thing were both mistakes, um, and that what we should have had. <laughs> Was uh, going back to a few more seasoned, veteran, classic uh, directors, and like Ron Howard coming in and saving Solo. Um, uh, whether whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing isn't is a different conversation. But but definitely bringing that to the finish line and ending up with a great movie at the end of it against all odds. Um, only Han Solo could pull that one off. I. <laughs> Like that, that shows me him, John Favreau, um, like that shows me, these are the kind of guys that you need to bring in. You need to bring in people who have, um, a different kind of respect and reverence for filmmaking than the type of people that she was picking. Like, like Josh Trank is, is a very interesting filmmaker. Um, but is he the right guy to to bring into Star Wars? Obviously, the answer was no. Um, I mean, like, a, there's a lot of stuff that went on there. But Colin Trevorrow, again, like, Safety Not Guaranteed is a f- fantastic movie. That it's movie is movie. Yeah. so good. Jurassic World? Not so much. Jurassic Never World's got it. a lot of problems. Because somebody wrote him a blank check and said, do what you want to do. And he... Did what he wanted to do and didn't really like, didn't build up to it. And but you look at a guy like Jon Favreau who's been doing what he's been doing for so long, similar type of filmmaker, similar, um, similar start, right? But you're coming to him at a point in time where he's he's done everything now, right? Like he he made swingers, but he also made Zathura, <laughs> right? And then he he makes he Man. didn't direct
0: Swingers. He didn't direct Swingers. Didn't he?
1: Did he just write and star in it? I Who, think.
0: He, I think he just. I think he just wrote it. I don't okay. think he. I'm almost positive he didn't. I think. I want to say Gus Van Sant directed that movie. Yeah. Let um, me check. I'm gonna check fact Check that. Yeah, yeah. Continue. Fact check
1: that. But in any case, like he, he, like he came up from that indie uh, yes, place yeah. um, and doing like these interesting smaller films. But then along the way, he's also done Iron Man and Jungle Book and. Doug Lyman that's your director Doug winners. Lyman okay yeah I okay. uh, but yeah like like there's like he's he's got the the chops now to come in and do Star Wars um and to understand that Star Wars so this this is one of my things with Star Wars and I talked about this a lot on on previous episodes of faster more intense but there are there are two ways to go with this there's the way that Dave Filoni approaches it which is to look at the influences that George used and to draw inspiration and, honestly, in my opinion, power from those sources. Or you can look at Star Wars and you can try and make a Star Wars movie. And when you look at Star Wars and try and make a Star Wars movie, I think you end up with one of two things. You either end up with The Last Jedi or you end up with The Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, which are both really are all three of those are really well-made films but at the end of the day, I I I think especially with Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, and one of the reasons why people said about Force Awakens that it was just a retread of of A New Hope is that J J Abrams was really really focusing on what made Star Wars great, and not what made Star Wars. And I think that Dave Filoni looks a little bit more about uh, like because he worked with George for so long and they obviously had these conversations of where the original influences came from, he goes back to those sources and pulls that stuff. And then he he obviously uh, maintains the Star Wars sort of genre status quo feel, and then like we were saying before, pulls in all this great easter egg stuff of Imperial troop transports and and, uh, and, and the Darksaber and all that stuff, right? This stuff that we want to We don't even know that we want to see, Um, but you get an episode where, I mean, like I know that he did the seven samurai episode in clone wars, but then he comes back and he does it again in the Mandalorian, but he does it in my opinion, much better than, than it was in the clone wars and tells a different story with it, uses it to tell, uses that same, that same framework to tell a very different story about a very different character, um, a very different set of characters. And sets up a future for storytelling in the end of the season. So, like, I like, I think that 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 is the key to making good Star Wars. And you're not going to get that from a, from directors that want to make a name for themselves. You got. I think that you have to go to people um, that that uh, are either okay with not being the big name on the marquee as as a director. Or you have to go to to people who like they've just they've been around the block so many times that whatever. It's cool to be doing Star Wars, but it's just it it is another project and it is another set of challenges and they're going to work within that. So like Ron Howard is a really great example of that. But what what was the key to the MCU? Ultimately, the key to the MCU ultimately was bringing in TV directors and elevating them to the level of film. I think they tried to do that with bringing Benioff and Weiss in, but I think Benioff and Weiss after the end of Game of Thrones were like, you know what? Um, we're not going to touch Star Wars with a 10-foot pole because I, cause we just got eviscerated for doing the wrong thing with a with a franchise. And um, we see all that stuff that's happening to Ryan Johnson, and we don't want any of that. No matter what we make, it's going to be the greatest to some people and the worst to others. If we're going to die on that hill, it it'll be a hill of our own making. So they're going to go off and do their own thing, which I totally respect and understand. Um, you got to really love star Wars at this point to be attached to a project because you're just going to get torn apart by the press and by a very specific subset of, um, I don't, I don't want to call them the fandom, but unfortunately, you know, the, it's the dark side of, of star Wars right now. So like, I get it, but, but I think like having Deborah Chow come in and do Kenobi is the smartest thing that they could do. It's, she's obviously very good, but it's not going to be, um, she's not high profile in the way that, that, uh, that Jon Favreau coming in and doing the Mandalorian is right. So I think that, that they're, we've really strong start with JJ um, I mean, strongest start with Dave Filoni and star Wars rebels, but I, uh, but that's not the general audience has no idea that star Wars rebels ex- rebels exists. And now all of a sudden people are like, Hey, what's up with that black lightsaber? And we get, to tell, them, <laughs> we get to tell them that they get to go watch the greatest star Wars story of them all. I, uh, I, in my opinion, <laughs> but I, uh, um, Strong start with J.J. with The Force Awakens of like, oh, cool, this shows a lot of promise. Iron Man with John Favreau, right? And then uh, next out the gate, a couple of stumbles. <laughs> and that's the Incredible Hulk and uh, Thor. <laughs> so hopefully whatever the next Star Wars movie is on the big screen, uh, it gets into a little bit more of the Avengers than then following uh, uh sort of the rockiness of of what we've gotten um <coughs> i would say that rise of skywalker is definitely akin to a captain america where it's like this is pretty close this is, pre- this is pretty good to a perfect star wars um i don't know if people feel that about captain america but that first captain america movie is pretty damn good there's a director that needs to be brought into star wars oh, immediately yeah, that. <laughs> and that's joe johnston Yep. um <laughs> the fact that that hasn't happened yet is a tragedy. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. The fact that he hasn't gotten to direct any other Marvel as well is it pisses me off, but um, Joe Johnson is such a good director. People don't, people don't even get it. Um, but, but again, like that's the, to me, that's the perfect pedigree of a, of a director, somebody to come in and um, understand where this stuff comes from. Although I mean like if I say Joe Johnston for Star Wars and I absolutely mean that. But um Joe Johnston for Indiana Jones would be would be even better. But um but I guess Steven Spielberg's gonna try and take another hack at that. Um I I have I have I don't know if you've heard me talk about it on other on other podcasts, Tim, but I I just don't have faith in Steven Spielberg as a director anymore. I just he's just he's he's kind of he's kind of lost in his own mythology I think um and that just means that Indy 5 is kind of a non-starter I just I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna it's not that I don't think I know that it's gonna do what these other Star Wars movies have done I just I don't know that anything can come out and be um fine yeah, you know what I, I mean. Agree with that. Not in terms yeah. of quality, but in terms of like just the discourse about it. People, yeah, it's be- people can't just be okay with a movie existing and not being their favorite movie. Everything that comes out needs to be the best thing that that thing has ever been. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting exhausted by it, honestly.
2: But, uh, I know the feeling. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's gonna be the exact same thing. What of these high-profile like, Lucasfilm properties, Luke, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, gonna be the exact same thing. So yeah, just yeah. gotta come to expect that It's almost a thing. It's sad to say, but it comes with the territory. Now it's uh, I,
1: it's kind of why I've been saying for the last year or two. Certainly with all the Last Jedi stuff, I'm really excited for the point in time when Star Wars isn't in the mainstream in the way that it is right now. And I think that I think we're on that cusp. Like I think they. They, they, uh, uh, with the focus being on TV for the next few years, that star Wars will become, I uh, I, I, I'm kind of happy that they oversaturated the market <laughs> and they pissed off a bunch of people, um, that a bunch of people who don't now go to star Wars movies because like, I don't want to hear from those people. Like it almost, it's it almost sounds like we still hear from, <laughs> that <laughs> like is the sad the thing. Stuff. You're right. But, um, like I want to kind of like weed those people out. I want it to be like, um, you know, like 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 uh, like a show like Avatar: The Last Airbender going into Legend of Korra. It's like, well, like I love that that both of those series, and I can have great discourse with other people who love those series. But like the general public doesn't know what those are, and I'm fine with that. Like it doesn't need to be beloved by everybody. Cause, uh, cause sometimes, sometimes a thing can just be for a certain group of people. It does not like not everything needs to be a Marvel movie. Not everything needs to, to. Not everything just just like needs to be the biggest event of the year. I obviously studios want that, and that's why this stuff gets pushed in the way that it does. But I don't know. Like I kind of miss. I I really miss that that zone that we had, I think in the nineties of like a movie could come out and be for an audience and that's okay. Um, And, and so you get smaller films that could come out in theaters and, and, and not be huge. Um, But then, I mean, sometime around the Phantom Menace uh, in 1999, (laughs) you got the Phantom Menace and the matrix come out within a month of each other. Right. Two months. Yeah. Just
2: about. And,
1: uh, and, and in the same way that Star Wars in 1977 changed the game, I think those two movies changed the game for, for movie going uh, in, in the 2000s. Like, they really sort of set the stage for that. And we're now seeing, like, the, the, the repercussions of that sort of studio mentality of, like, every, like, people lined up around the block for The Phantom Menace. And now that's the high water mark, and that's what we want everybody to do. So every movie has to be hyped up to that level. Um, people don't line up around blocks anymore because we buy stuff online. But so the the modern equivalent of that is crashing Fandango, right? But yeah, uh, I, I, uh, yeah, that's what everything needs to be now. And I, I don't know. I guess the Mandalorian achieved that, didn't it? Because it it took down Disney Plus for, for. The, 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 the launch. The even launch, this, the first week,
2: basically. Even on this last episode, I couldn't get the episode to load up. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I purposely stayed up late to see this final episode because I wanted to make sure I saw it not get spoiled the next day because I knew if I waited till Friday, it would be late at night. And like took a good half hour for it to show up on my Disney Plus, but I saw on Twitter that people were watching it already. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, where is it?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I got it to load pretty quick. Uh, but, uh Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's let's jump into the episode. I, Paul, Paul stepped away for a second, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, I get into the actual recap here. Um, but that's okay. He'll be back by the time we get to the really good stuff. I I like we said before. This episode directed by Taika Waititi um, and written by Jon Favreau. Season finale, um, and we start on. I uh, some I said earlier, like some people get confused by the tone of this show. I personally, I don't get confused by the tone of this show at all. It is hardcore Star Wars with a little bit of of uh, good natured meta humor sprinkled in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and we start this episode on some really great meta humor uh, with these. uh, Actually, we start the first shot, which maybe this is where people get a little bit of whiplash. The first shot is epic speeder bikes. Right. It's like, Oh man, we're right into the action this week. Yeah. <laughs> and then they immediately stop and they're like, Yes, yeah, so uh we got the thing. Can we come into town? And it's like, No, you should probably wait a minute. He's uh he's doing he's doing the whole the whole speech thing. And so we get this great back and forth between Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally, two uh incredibly funny comedians, uh uh, with uh sitting on the speeder bike and uh speeder bikes and um uh, one scout trooper really wants to see it, and the other one's like, "Could you just cool it?" Uh, there's so many great moments in this. It's we could talk for half an hour just yeah. about this scene. And
2: but, you knew right uh, away
1: who was directing this episode. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> <100%. 100%. laughs> right percent. Yeah, I yeah. uh, and uh, I, I love the like the like. Hey, maybe maybe you need some water. Is like you just want to see it. He's like, yeah. Well, you got to see it. I didn't get to see it. He's like, I didn't get to see it. I scooped it up, put it in the bag. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It's just such a. I the thing that I love about this is that, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of meta, but it's also actually really good world building. Of like, yeah. stormtroopers are just dudes. Like, the especially, first order, they're conditioned. Now, yeah, where the empire's fallen <laughs> too. Yeah, in the with the first order, they're conditioned. And they're like a unit, and so they're a little. The first order stormtroopers I find to be a little bit scary, right? Um, original trilogy stormtroopers are just it's numbers. That's what it's about, and then and then the the prequels. Obviously, the clone troopers are clone troopers, and they're like highly trained, all bred to be perfect soldiers. So, like, I love that this gets into like like uh, and in a very comical way. Um, you know, this is why the empire falls without the empire emperor, because you've got a you got like this handful of ambitious officers who could maybe do something, but they're stuck with these guys, right? They're, they're stuck yeah. with who's left, um, and a lot of these guys that are left, it's like, you know, like a, like they're they're uh, they got no place else to go, <laughs> right? And that's what I get from these two guys is like, they're they're on uh, man, what's the pl- what's this planet called? navarro navarro yeah i yeah. uh, they're they're stationed out here because they're scruffy looking so i imagine that these guys were on navarro already they were part of um the client's uh, uh retinue or whatever because um, all of gideon's guys are like pristine but i uh, i like these two guys are just there they wanted to be on a quiet planet out of the way and not really get into it. And that's where, like, they radio in, and that guy on the other end is clearly one of their, like, part of their crew, and is like, yeah, man, he's still monologuing. He's, uh, he just, he just killed an officer for interrupting him. So you might want to wait a minute. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, I, like that. I love that we've cut away from the monologue because I was saying it a couple episodes ago, I think, like, oh, it's going to be great. Like, we know with, uh, with with Giancarlo Esposito, that we're gonna get like this grandiose villain, and he's gonna give some great monologue and explain why he's after the child and all that stuff. And I think that a bunch of that happened. It just happened off screen while we were watching these two chuckleheads mm. <laughs> go at it, right? Um, and and I love the I love the 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 target practice, yeah. <laughs> the 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 shooting. And when like he shoots, like first Adam Pally shoots, and we're like, okay, well clearly he's like the the hapless one out of these two, but then Jason Sudeikis shoots and he also totally misses. And he looks at his blaster. Like I was pointing, I was definitely pointing closer that like, I wasn't that far off and he shakes it and it makes the spray paint can rattle sound. And you're like, okay, so not only is it that, you know, these guys are not the best of the best but they are also working with less than stellar equipment <laughs> uh, it's not this is not an ideal situation all around i think the mandalorian might be okay <laughs> yeah. i think he's gonna make it out of this one um yeah uh but then ig11 shows up and you're like all right let's go and he's i like when he's uh, he announces himself as a nursing droid and they're like yeah. isn't that a hunter it's like, well, apparently this one's a nurse, and uh, and and uh, he he just makes real short work out of these two scout troopers. Um, and it'll be to
2: mention too how this quiet those two scout troopers caused quite the stir online just by hitting Baby Yoda like three oh, times in the man. sequence. This. Everyone just wanted them to. Get what they deserve. What IG Eleven clearly and they did. did so. Like I, yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know about. So I uh, like the Jason Sudeikis Stormtrooper, uh, Scout Trooper. He gets his arm broken and then and then thrown on the ground, and then he gets thrown on the ground and, and possibly knocked out. So I don't think he's dead. But Adam Pally's Scout Trooper is used to destroy the the stabilizer on that speeder bike, and yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure. He, He's at least paralyzed from the neck down, <laughs>
2: <laughs> at least yeah.
1: Like in a very in a very uh, Batman v Superman Batman way. Like, okay, I, maybe he's not dead, but he's certainly not okay. Like he's not gonna he's not recovering from that. He's gonna eat through a tube for the rest of <laughs> his. life. He's not gonna
2: be riding any speeder bikes anytime. Yeah. Soon. <laughs>
1: um yeah, his livelihood is gone, and I don't think that the Imperial Remnant has a has a great. Uh, uh, retirement plan uh, compensation <laughs> package for, for uh, getting taken out in the line of duty. So, so that guy's, that guy's not going to be, not going to be doing so well. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe he's that weird. Hey, do you have the visual dictionary for rise of Skywalker yet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that one bounty hunter, uh, Rothgard dang or something like that.
2: Oh yeah. That, that like, it's like, right? Oh yeah. He's
1: like, he's like modified himself beyond recognition. Um, uh, maybe it's one. Maybe it's one of these two guys. <laughs> maybe it's the Adam Pally <laughs> characters. That's he's actually. That's the origin story. Is that that's how it started, uh, and then some bounty hunters put him back together, and he just kept enhancing himself. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. So Ig Eleven uh, does the thing and blows into town. Meanwhile, uh, everybody's stuck in that building, and uh, and uh, there's no way out. Just the the one entrance exit. So, uh, they got to figure out something else. And Mando's like, we can go through the sewers and find the covert, uh, and the Mandalorians will help us get off planet. Um, so they find a grate and they try to blast it open. And, like, look, um, we've seen that Beskar is pretty impressive, but I'd really like to know what the hell that grate is made out of yeah. <laughs> that it withstands the repeating blaster cannon because that, like, it doesn't even like bend it just heats up and then she kicks it and it just there's n- nothing. It's, it's fine. Um, so whatever that, that sewer grate is made out of, uh, yeah, that's get, get, get me some of that. There's, that should be the outside of spaceships. And, uh, it's very odd, very odd. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like I'll say like, yes, that makes sense. But then the building is made out of like some sort of clay. So why don't you just like blow out a hole around the grate and then pull the grate out? Because that, I don't know that that probably would have worked. But um, in any case, uh, they can't get out, and he has the great, the uh, uh, Moff Gideon has the great line of, uh, uh, your, your astute panic is like basically telling me that you you understand that you're screwed, uh, and then then they set up the e-web, which I love how much. Um, how much like ceremony there is to it. Like how, what a big deal is made out of it. And this is again, what we were talking about earlier about like the, the kind of Easter egg nature of the show. If you're a casual star Wars watcher, you're getting the information that you need, which is that this e is a big deal. If, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> if you're a, a hardcore star Wars fan, you're like, Oh, they're setting up an e-web. And then when he says what a big deal it is, you're like, yeah, I'm a good star Wars fan. I know that already. <laughs> um, so it, like, it's good for both sides. It, it, it gives non star Wars aficionados the, the heads up of like this thing's dangerous, but then it, it reinforces for us that we are best at watching star Wars things. Um, uh, and then he has his monologue and he, uh, Gideon goes on and, uh, and and gives us the most information about these characters that we have received thus far. Eight episodes in to the series, um, it, uh, very simply uh, by calling them out for what they are. So re- he, I wrote these down. I uh, Republican shock trooper kerosynthian Dune of Alderaan. So uh, she's Alderanian, which I think like that's that's counterintuitive because she likes to kill things <laughs> uh, and Alderon is peaceful. They don't have any weapons. Um, but uh, at the same time, it, I think it just adds to why
2: she's the way she is to towards yeah. Imperials. Obviously I mean, that's all Mandalorian had to say here, say to yeah. her to get yeah. for her to join with him on this mission. Then yeah. And that, totally at, understand that. that
1: is the other part of that puzzle piece of like, cause I heard from some other people that they were like, that seems like kind of a flimsy justification for her. Just being like, I'm in, I uh, but then when you get this other piece that like, Oh, she's from Alderon, Well, no wonder she wants to see every imp murdered. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, like they, in her eyes, like they committed this, this is the equivalent to a Jewish person, person being told like, Hey, uh, I'm going to give you a bunch of guns and we're going to go hunt some Nazis. You cool with that? It's like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'd be cool with that. Let's go do that. Um, uh, somebody who's directly related to, to that to that uh history would be like yes let's deal with these people in the way that they need to be dealt with um so yeah i i loved that piece of just real quick storytelling mm-hmm. um and sort of the the shock on her face of like uh okay this guy knows who i am uh and then decommissioned mandalorian hunter we finally get his name officially uh din jarin uh and then we get this mention of the Night of a Thousand Tears, which I... I wow. Now, based on the end of this episode and the item in Moff Gideon's possession, I'm going to guess that the Night of a Thousand Tears and the Purge happens after Star Wars Rebels and not immediately after um, uh, the, the Siege of Mandalore.
2: Yeah, but that's the thing, too, because I would... That's what I thought, but then he specifically mentions the siege of Mandalore in here yeah, too. Yeah, I guess he
1: does, right?
2: Like right so, before like, that, is he? Yeah, is he referring to that particular moment that we're going to mm-hmm. see in the Clone Wars coming up in season seven, or is there another siege of Mandalore that he's referring to? What he then brings up a, the night of a thousand tears, and that's where that yeah comes from. So it's going to be interesting.
1: I I think like the lucky thing is that uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've got Clone Wars season seven coming in a month and uh, I think it's actually going to give us some of this backstory and I will not be at all surprised if Moff Gideon is at least mentioned um but yeah the other part of it is that is that uh, I the Mandalorian I guess can we start calling him Din now I guess we start calling him Din now cuz we know his we name. We could right? we should, but at the same
2: time it's hard to stop calling him Mando or yeah. Mando. <laughs> We're I, just, so used to it just like with Baby Yoda, it's going to be hard once we, we know his him. name is Frank. Yeah. I yeah. uh,
1: I he he refers to Gideon as an ISB uh, agent, like a, an ISB officer, which that's in the Imperial Security Bureau, right? So I that would mean like that that he's known for, um, for being associated with the Empire, not the Republic, right? Not not part of that. So, but the Siege of Mandalore happens during Order sixty six. It's like we're we're playing with some really weird stuff here, and we need more information, obviously. But I I think that we'll get it. So I think we might we might get a little bit of the of, of a hint at the origin of uh, of of Moff Gideon in the Clone yeah. Wars.
2: If, yeah, it's easily for him just to be a Republic officer or a yeah, high-ranking exactly. Republic
1: general or something. Yeah, yeah, and to be present at the Siege of Mandalore.
0: So, um, wait, you think, uh, really quickly, I'm sorry, yeah. people, I had, a, I had a work thing I had to jump into, but uh, I, listen to this last conversation here. Uh, my question is, you guys think Moff Gideon might be an extra public, like, general? Not a, not no. I would like at the
1: because of timeline. I would say that he's probably a little bit like lower in rank at that yeah. point in time, um, and that he would be like with with the Republic Security, like uh, Republic Intelligence, right? Well,
0: yeah. Well, right. Because he's again, I, he's
1: mentioned as ISB, so yeah, that uh, would be uh, yeah. it, The Re- Republic Intelligence would become the ISB. Ah, uh, that's after right. Revenge of Revenge of the Sith. Now, right. We're getting this information from the mando. Man, oh, yeah. So he's giving it with giving it to us with his context. And his context, he was a kid during the clone wars. So he might just think of the republic and the empire as the same thing. And he might be thinking yeah. of the ISB and Republic intelligence as the same thing. So maybe Gideon was a member of of the 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 like maybe he was he was that character at that time as well. But I the, what we're talking about here is that like maybe we're going to get a little bit of Gideon's backstory in the Clone Wars, like whether it's him actually on screen. I don't know if we'll see that. That would be really impressive if, if we got that, um, like really, really impressive planning on their part. <clears throat> but it would also explain why it took so long for them to finish the last season of Clone Wars, because it's like, well, we're going to change a few things from the way that it was because um, it was already in production. Right. But, I, I, I think more likely what we'll get is like a mention, of of Gideon in some way that like ties him into the Siege of Mandalore and, but like doesn't really give us any new information, just like places him there, mm-hmm. um, so that, that it's like okay, if you're watching both shows, there's the connection, right? He was there at the Siege of Mandalore. He talks about the Siege of Mandalore in this, um, and and I. Uh, uh, it would make sense that, that that's how he gets the records and knows, uh, uh, din's real name. Right. And knows his identity. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I, the, I'm, I'm hopeful, but like the other part of it is that he's in possession of the dark saber, which has to have happened post star Wars rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Because the siege of Mandalore is going to presumably end with the dark saber in Maul's possession. Because that's where, like, the last time we saw it was in his possession, but that was on Mandalore, and then uh, he got he got his butt whooped by uh, by Darth Sidious, and then uh, uh, but at some point he's gonna go back to Mandalore because that's what that arc is gonna be about is about Ahsoka facing off with with Darth Maul, so. And then eventually Ezra and Sabine recover it in Star Wars Rebels and give it to Bo Katan, right? So <coughs> it's I uh, <clears throat> so it we only have pieces of the story, and we're trying to piece it together, but the hope is that we're gonna get a little bit more of this and understand a little bit more about it. The last the last piece of information that we're given by Moff Gideon in his little monologue is I uh, the the fact that Grief Karga is not he hasn't always been a uh, uh, bounty hunter guild. Uh, I I don't know I, quest giver. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know what the title is, but I uh, uh, he he was once a magistrate. I uh, I don't know what a magistrate is by definition, but it sounds important. It sounds political. Uh, when we think about Star Wars and the fact that uh, political offices are also sometimes referred to in these. Um, uh, uh, let's see, I, a magistrate is a person who lays down the law, a judge or other civil authority who conducts a court, minor offenses are brought before a magistrate, so he was a judge, there we go that that's that was easier, that was an easier answer than than I was making it out to be, and I really should have just looked that up beforehand, and done some research but uh, there it is so yeah, so he disgraced magistrate Grief Karga why is he a disgraced magistrate? I think we'll learn in season two. Um, But I love it. I just love that that Gideon, A, has all this information. So we learn, like, this guy is, uh, he's living up to the reputation that that the Mando gives us. Uh, It's like, oh, well, he he was an ISB agent, and he was, I thought he was executed for war crimes. Um, Which, again, you have to imagine that happens after the fall of the Empire, right? Was, was, yeah. was, was, was there's so many there's so much timeline stuff going on here um it's like we I, cover we literally in the span of this scene we cover all of known star wars time except for like after this i uh, i in like uh resistance era right but everything from from old republic up until now it's like we we just filled in a lot of gaps uh, i i of of uh time um and placed a lot of stuff but uh yeah i don't know what do you what do you guys think about these reveals i i, I feels like it's setting stuff up for season two it it, it has to be right
0: well absolutely there's, there's, there's obviously a connection between him and the, and the and gideon like so at least in some ways yeah that there's there's more there's more of a relationship there especially the fact that he has the dark saber i think that's no coincidence either so obviously the mandalorian probably maybe is aware that he has the black or the dark saber and he that is a symbol of like he's got we got to get that back from him but he's also a part of this thing and he knows how dangerous he is as well. So there's, there is going to be that kind of pull thing, like where you, you know, you decimated my, my planet and my people, and you have now also the symbol that represents my people, essentially, uh, whoever has that essentially is in charge. It's a big deal. So Mm I I think, I think there's a lot going on in that regard. I think there might, there might be a little bit of a history because he knows the name, but they both know each other's names, but mainly because he know, like the Mando knows who Gideon is. That to me is a bigger deal because he even said that I thought he was executed. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're really setting up that this guy is the bad guy. This like, he, like everything else has just been, um, prelude to, to this character's reveal. Um, and, and I we we learn so much about this character not just in some exposition like that but just in his actions, and I love what he's like he's like let's make a deal and then uh, grief is like how can we how can we trust that you'll keep your word and he's like if you're asking if you can trust me you cannot he's like I'm gonna kill you guys at the first convenience but right yeah. <laughs> now that's not in my best interest so I don't know trust that I guess <laughs> and it's like that's not you you I feel like. For anybody who plays Dungeons and Dragons or any role-playing games, this is one of those instances where the player comes up with a really great argument, um, but still rolls like a 9 on their on their persuasion check. And it's like, well, I see where you're coming from, but it's not going to work. We are not going to trust you. We're just not going to trust you. Cool? Are we cool with that? Um Although grief is kind of like we don't have a choice, we should make a deal. I I, I don't really trust grief that much. <laughs> he's uh, he's gonna save his butt most of the time, I think. Um,
2: or he's maybe that, for his
1: best interest as well. So yeah, <laughs> um, there was a there was a there was a debate from last week's episode as to whether or not um, the force healing uh, I I m- sort of allowed him like sort of made him. Changed his ways a little bit, turned him a little bit more towards the light side. Um, I think so in a little and bit. And whether yeah. or not that is connected to Rise of Skywalker and blah blah blah, um, Force healing might be a little bit more than just physical healing. Um, oh, so I'm just going like,
2: for me, just him realizing, like, appreciating the gesture, I guess, of you know, little yeah. baby Yoda healing him up, and then just making him realize, you know, I can't turn this <laughs> person who s- saved my life over and just making him show that he does have some good moral qualities to him where he's just always yeah. not out for the money more so yeah. than the actual process of the healing, like healing something inside mentally or spiritually or whatever.
1: I I think there's room for interpretation, which Definitely. I know, I, I, I think we can all agree that Kyle would not like that, but, um, but I like that. <laughs> I like the room for interpretation. Um, uh, and then I, I, uh, we 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 get the 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 piece where uh, you know we learn that the man that that the Mandalorian is not from Mandalore, um, and grief is like oh, what and then and, and uh, I love that it's actually Kara who comes in with it first where she's like the Mandalorian isn't a race, and then and then Din finishes the thought with like it's a creed. Um, and then we get and a shot of Creed, like <laughs> Apollo Creed. Creed. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> um,
0: uh, oh guys. I don't think oh, that boy. that
1: was meant to be a joke. I think that's just a coincidence, but I, I, um, yeah, like I love that. I love, I love that. They, 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 this thing that we've all kind of been speculating about over the course of this season. It's like, okay, yeah, it's more than just, I, I. It's it kind of reminds me of of uh, Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> which is funny because Taika Waititi directed this episode. Um, uh, the the uh, uh, Asgard isn't a place; it's a people. It's uh, like that. It's sort of uh, the same message of like, look, it's not about, it's not about a physical place. It's not about the planet and coming from that planet. Like, first of all, Mandalore is a planet. There are multiple cultures on Mandalore. I know Star Wars has a real hard time getting this across to uh uh, to everybody but we go to planets and we see one area of a planet it's not to say that the entire planet is exactly like that one area i think it's uh because it's a tatooine is a desert planet and endor is a forest moon we get this this sort of uh, they all have motifs so so it's easy to assume um that it's that simple, that it's that straightforward. And I think for the storytelling purposes of the films, that's okay. But when we get into the TV series and the novels and the comics and stuff, we can get a little bit more nuanced and actually explore the fact that there are multiple cultures in one on one planet and that people might be of multiple races from Mandalore. Um, So to say Mandalorian is one race would be like, well they're 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 primarily humans as far as we know um and what makes them different from humans on Coruscant other than culture but anyways it's a like it's confusing but i like the fact that that, that this brings it into like like this is the mando this is about mandalorian culture the mandalorian creed um and this the the as we learn when we see uh, kind of jumping ahead a little bit we'll come back I uh, the with the the flashback oh no I guess this is the flashback moment isn't it yeah yeah we see the death watch so we know they they and presumably um because the death watch are being good guys in in this context although it's not clear um presumably this is Bo-Katan's death watch not pre-Vizsla's death watch but it is the Clone Wars so it could be either um it's not Bo-Katan man you don't think that this is Bo-Katan's Death Watch? You think that this is?
0: Um, oh, in the in the flashback, I thought you meant. As no, the, no, it's not, uh, her. The, it's the not her. It's yeah. not her. It's not her armor. Yeah.
1: It's that's a it's a male Mando helmet. No, no, I'm saying like it's her. It's her faction, right? Because oh
0: yeah 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 because Previsla's
1: faction goes with Darth Maul and becomes the Darth Maul
0: Death Watch, right? So, but, but when, what? But yeah, we don't know when exactly this was exactly. either. Was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I don't think so, it's
2: out of the realm of possibility, even with. Pre Vizla in charge of his Death Watch, where they see the battle droids attacking this village. Yeah, yeah. And you know how, after the things went with Count Dugu, they want to take him out as well. Yeah, for sure. And also establish themselves as, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. even though they want to, they do some bad, obviously some bad things and do what they're going to do to make sure for what Pre Vizla wants to get that warrior race yeah. established back as, you know, yeah. and on Mandalore. But I think there is that part of them that are are noble in their own way and they're going to help those who need help especially when they're being attacked by separatist destroyers who they were betrayed by with Count Dooku so yeah, yeah, I think yeah, there sure. is potentially for it to be pre-Vizslas but also too it would make sense if it is Bo-Katan's when she's in charge of it since um she has to obviously she's going to do things differently than what pre-Vizsla did and yeah. she has shown more of someone being more noble and wanting to do the right thing more than he did
1: yeah absolutely so yeah I and but I would lean more towards it being Bo-Katan's Death Watch because of the fact that this is a surviving clan and I don't think that Darth Maul's clan which is the, like that other faction of Death Watch that followed mm-hmm. Pre Vizsla with Darth Maul to, to take Mandalore I like that I think that faction's gonna get wiped out like I think that during the siege of Mandalore that that the clone troopers and, uh, and Ahsoka are gonna are gonna handle those guys, right? But that yeah. Bo-Katan's group is over in this other area, and that's like the the group that we've seen in in um, Star Wars Rebels, right? So I think that's more connected to that. But obviously, there's room. There's so much room for us to learn the truth of that in season two, um, and I think that's that's one of the cool things here is that going into season two, I think that that that's probably the sort of flashbacks that we might get. We might we as as Din watches over the child, um, we might start to get more correlation there. Cause we, we close this, this shot, uh, or this scene on a shot of, of the Mandalorian flying off like this, this death watch Mandalorian flying off with him, carrying him and him sort of looking over his shoulder at the ground. And that's like one of the last moments of this episode as well with, Mm -hmm. with the child. And they mirror perfectly, um obviously purposely um so yeah I, there's a, 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 the, a the history repeating itself it's a it's the, the this this uh foundling ideology is 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 carrying through um and this is why this, this is why the mando is a hero and not just a bounty hunter
2: yep, right exactly. because
1: of this past because of of what happened to him and and the fact that the mandalorians rescued him from being killed by emotionless unfeeling battle droid so no wonder he doesn't like droids Uh, i like that there was a lot of people who like in this episode finally put that together like i'm talking (laughs) about like general public people Uh. like i see from like a lot of my friends and stuff it's like it's like oh that's why he doesn't like droids i'm like yeah did you not catch the battle droids in that first episode attacking his family like they i know that the flashes were really brief but like it was there right like it, it it's not i i don't like this was not surprising it's just like oh here's the full scene now yeah um, and finally acknowledging <coughs> or showing
2: like if you didn't know before you definitely know now like explicitly yeah. showing this was the reason but man, how cool did the death Block look in live action? Seriously, well, yeah. <laughs>
1: they they really nailed it and I feel like they even maybe it's just the paint schemes or something, but the the stylization of that armor looked more like the Clone Wars to me than like if we see like Boba Fett or even the Mando himself. Right? Like it like they felt especially in that first shot when we first see that helmet when he opens the 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 whatever that like little shelter or whatever that, that, that Din was in when he's sort of like in shadow and you get um, like the really, really deep angle on the, the mask. It looked really Clone Wars to me. Um, And I, I don't know if this was ever intentional in the design of Boba Fett's helmet back in the day, but when, when you cut away the rest of the helmet, the the visor that comes down into the point looks like a wolf, like the like the, the like the, the the face of a wolf, which mm. I I don't know, there's just, like it 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 really works in that blue for me, like it just it just really kind of gives that vibe. Um, obviously, Dave Filoni will be happy to hear that that's the. Yeah, I just immediately associate Dave Filoni with wolves and then clone troopers because of Commander Wolf and 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 his whole crew and whatever their helmets and stuff. Uh, But yeah, it's just like it kind of gives like that wolf or fox sort of look to the to the face of the mask. Um, And maybe it's just maybe it is just the like the specific color scheme of the man of the Death Watch ones where it's the light blue and then the dark blue on the like sort of that the angled cheek part Um, that just makes it 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 makes that front part pop so much um, that you really kind of just focus on that. But they look so good. That Death Watch color scheme looked great in the Clone Wars, but it looks even better in live action. I just love that we're getting we're getting animated stuff in live action, and yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool to see it. Um, so yeah, and then we we figured, like we have the part about Moff Gideon being part of the ISB during the Purge, which is what makes me think that the Purge happens post Republic. That that's something that happens in in either closer to. Star Wars Rebels, or even after Star Wars Rebels, but um, I don't know. Like I, I'm in the middle of my Rebels rewatch, and when I get to season three, I think I'll have a little bit more clarity on this. And listening to to what happened with Clan Ren and stuff like that, um, to know why they're where they are, and 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 all of that stuff with Gar Saxon and blah blah blah. Because um, I remember it, but it was a long time ago, so it's all kind of fuzzy to me at the moment. But um, I need to do that homework. We'll come back. I think, like, at some point in between season one and season two, uh, we'll have an episode of Faster More Intense where, where we break down the the mythology of Mandalore so far. And we'll kind of give a timeline, and I'll do my best to kind of put that together, and we can, can actually have, hopefully, some definitive answers on that.
0: You part. can have, like... Not just one episode, but like a crap load of episodes about, you know, afterwards, Um, you know, I have to run in a little bit, but I want to kind of just say a few things, if you don't mind, Michael, um, about the episode. Um, You know, I I just it is amazing to me piggybacking off the Death Watch kind of thing. That we've got these live-action Mandos more so than we ever have before live-action-wise. Though in the Clone Wars, we got them, obviously, Mm -hmm. the first Mandos on screen more than just Boba Fett and Jango Fett. And it was incredible to see that. And now we're seeing it live-action. It's kind of surreal. I'm not sure for you guys, but it's kind of surreal for me that I'm like, man, if you would have told me in, like, 20 years I'll be seeing Mandalorians, like, like everywhere – on a TV show, it's going to be like, what? That's, that's insane. Yeah. And it, it's, it really is amaz- amazing to me that they they linked it back to Clone Wars. Imagine six, eight, five, six years, years ago for us, knowing that they'd have something like this directly tying into animated shows, which the movies have been – and again, I would say the saga films more so because they're big-time directors, You know, not mm-hmm. necessarily wanting to be dictated by – Animated shows, whatever, but because Dave Filoni is in, tied and entrenched into the animated films or animated side, you were getting even more tighter uh, cohesiveness with that, and yeah. having that is really enhancing the stories for again the Easter egg aspect. Yes, mm. he was saved by Mandalorians, but we know by the De- Death Watch Death Watch insignia, that's a big deal. And I and again going back to what I said earlier before I had to run for a few minutes. There was, again, the cohesiveness of all of that is feeding the hardcore fan base while also informing the mainstream fan base, which is two very different things. So I just this episode, I mean, besides being brilliantly, I think, directed and having obviously an an influence, like in the very beginning of this episode by Taika. It it is it has it does it does a beautiful job of giving us what what the mainstream and the hardcore fans all need all at the same time, and I and it just it really is a great example of seeing all and given the stuff that's new as well. I think a lot of people say you got to keep Star Wars needs to be pushed forward. You can't just keep being fan service. And there's there are different elements that we're getting from that, and I think we're getting those in these stories. And it, it is really really cool that we're getting them. Uh, I know seeing, IG Eleven, and later on the episode, is super depressing, and yeah, it's a bummer. But at the same time, this episode does a great job of of so much great setup, that going into season two, you got so much to work with, amidst of like also just probably fun one off stories like the prisoner and maybe the um, the second episode, which I think is called the uh, the the is it to the child the second yeah, episode? Yeah, the second episode, yeah. of the child. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, again, even though it's about, you know, you're 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 progressing baby Yoda, whatever. You're also it's a great just a one off episode with him fighting Jawa. So yeah. what what this episode does, it gives you the emotional backdrop of season two, while also you can play around with all these different things later on as well. So this episode, it, it's again, it's it's great to rewatch And, but it's so tight. And that's the one thing I will say. And I'm very curious. You talked earlier, too, Michael, about. Episode length like are we gonna get more than eight episodes? I hope we do, but I'm also wondering are we gonna get longer episodes? And That's the other yeah. one that I'm really curious about because now they know that people don't care if we get more Explanation like hey, you know what the exposition you maybe thought wasn't really is a little overkill Maybe you leave it in to like really hammer it home because people want these episodes longer and Maybe we would like that maybe we're not the mainstream audience is gonna be more ex- receptive to it but yeah, this this episode really demonstrated to me how how tight everything is, and also, and I don't mean this as a as a as a diss on the series by any means, but it kind of reminds me too of just how limited the show is because of its budget and yeah. because you have, you know, because we get that in a prisoner, we get that in other episodes, like what they're trying to do to save budget-wise. But it's yeah. just funny because it's like when you when you think about it, the whole episode takes place in three rooms or mm-hmm. uh, lava don't get me wrong a freaking awesome lava like river you know but then even then it's like you go out and it's just rock and black like soot everywhere you know whatever and then one tie fighter so it's you wonder you have to wonder you know are they gonna eventually up the ante a little bit like give it a little more pizzazz because it can't be a feature film but what because again it's perfect for what it is but you're gonna have to eventually get bigger And in this episode and again not even a negative it's just more of an observation Mm -hmm. it is still small in stand if you if you consider what's going on even though the the, all the stormtroopers definitely helps to give it scale but having one spaceship and things like that like what are they going to do to give it a little more of a a bustiness if you will as far as like just kind of grander scale i'm curious what it is because i think that they've towed a great line all season long and i thought that Again, bring the five oh first in for extra stormtroopers. Cause I could bet I again going back to that celebration conversation too, I, when he said we needed more stormtroopers. Yeah. And that was evident it was for this these last two episodes. Yeah. And I think and I think what's interesting is that he was right. Cause think about how, how many how much they had in that oh, that scene with Moff Gideon. And if they would have had like, let's say 40% or let's say 30% less, that'd look pretty substantial wouldn't you think so yeah. it's it's amazing that and i guess what i'm reason i bring that up too is again the scale and them trying to like eke out certain things they've done a great job of keeping it contained and we don't even notice it until we've seen it like six seven times and you're like man this episode is kind of not like they're, they're venturing out. And, and again, that was kind of a, uh, a criticism of rebels, right? That they were on loathal constantly. And, yeah. and because again, they, they only had a certain amount of things they could do. There's, there's a similar thing to here, but you wonder how they're going to, are there ways to make it that kind of not, not seem so enclosed. Cause that's the my biggest criticism. And it's not even a criticism. It's just like an observation is that, is that it, the series as a whole does feel like, kind of claustrophobic a little bit but not to a detriment but it definitely feels that way at times throughout the series and i'm curious what you guys think about that
1: yeah i mean like i i think the the the, they're limited a lot by the technology that they're that they're utilizing it's technology that adds production value that whole volume thing right um where they've got these led screens and they're projecting the 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 set behind them Sometimes it's noticeable and other times it's like, you know, it's just Star Wars, or Star Wars. But um, I do think that like it kind of it, it, it puts the production, the art department in a certain headspace of like, well, we're going to try and use this thing. So so Navarro is just a lot of planes and the planet that Queel was on is a lot of planes. And we see we're gonna see a lot of planes because it's really easy to do like that that sort of vanishing point horizon line with this volume thing and extend the set. And then we just have to build we just have to build the area that they're in. Like you just have to build this sort of like 100 foot square area of like, okay, this is directly what they're interacting with. And then everything else we can fill in later. Um, not later, but like, like in the, in the process of shooting with this, with this, with basically a video game engine. I mean, they, they, they use unreal engine to do all of it. Um, which is incredible. I, I so I don't know, like I, it, on the one hand it limits them. On the other hand, they're pushing a piece of technology forward. That's going to be instrumental in the future of Filmmaking, but in particular Star Wars storytelling, because I think that this this tech that Jon Favreau is is really uh, pioneering and pushing, is going to make a huge difference in in the sort of things that we're gonna see yeah. in Star Wars movies in the future. Um, and I think it's get, like it it allows them to do things like not have to go to Tunisia to shoot all of Kenobi, which I think is fantastic, because um, it means that we can get those locations again without them having to deal with the 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 hardship in the budget Uh, so it's like to me what it does is actually allows them to put the budget in more important places and i'm I'm cool with that like use the tv technology right like use that level of technology so that the budget that you do have can go into bringing taika waititi into direct an episode because he's gonna ask for a little bit more money like his rate's going to be a little bit higher than bringing in some of these other tv directors that they've brought in. That's fair. And I think like that's where the money is better used uh, getting Giancarlo Esposito in and paying his price tag, uh, having Pedro Pascal as the main character, right? Like that's where the money needs to go. It's it's more about the talent, the human beings that are going to make the show great because bad acting is going to make bad set design worse or like it'll make good set design will be irrelevant because all we're going to be focused on is bad acting but if we've yeah. got great actors great directors we're going to forget the background's going to melt away right because we're going to be so focused on characters so as much as this is that this is a TV story we've gotten epic stuff in it we've gotten some pretty cool space fights we've gotten um, and the, the best thing about that is that they're using practical stuff to do that because it's cheaper to do it that way but I think it also gives it a I love the quality of it, the 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 visual quality of the of everything that's happened in space with this series, because it has that high contrast, um, those really deep shadows and bright light sources that the original trilogy is known for and that the prequels and the sequels don't utilize and we talk about. The Rise of Skywalker, that final battle, you can't see what anything is because everything's just in fog and flashes of lightning. But in all of the space stuff on The Mandalorian, it's always this really stark, uh, crystal clear visual of what it is. So we can see, yeah, it's only two ships, but those two ships look beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. That space station, yes, you can tell it's a miniature, but it's a work of art. And when those X-Wings are blowing it up, it's fun to watch. So it, to me, I'm always of the of the mind, um, and I say this a lot with video games as well, I don't need it to look real. I need it to look cool, right? And if it looks cool, I don't care if it looks real. And that's because I'm a Star Wars fan, right? Like, does Psy Snoodles in the original Star- Return of the Jedi, like pre-Special uh, I, I, I Edition... Does that look real? No, but Max Rebo Band looks cool. Like, I like the idea. I get what we're going for. Does the Rancor look real? No, it looks like a puppet. It looks like it's stop motion or whatever, right? Not stop motion, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. But to me, it's like there are qualities to that. Tauntauns are stop motion and puppets, but mostly like like when we see them moving, it's it's stop motion. I love that quality, though. Like, I love that vibe. Uh, of, of the Tauntaun running across the snow. I think that looks cooler than if it was CG, right? So I think that they've done a really good job of making sure that maybe it's not going to look... Maybe it's not the biggest thing that they could do. Maybe it's not the, the most elaborate set. But when we get into the lava tunnel and we see that astromech droid stand up for the first time... I'm not focused on any of the background in that
0: moment. And that's very true. Yeah, I'm focused exactly, on yeah. that
1: droid, which maybe it's CG, maybe it's a practical effect. The great thing about these days is that it's so hard to tell. For example, uh, Maz Kanata in Rise of Skywalker is a practical effect with a CG face. And I didn't know that watching the movie the first time. I thought they did the same thing they did the last time. And it's like, nope, they did it in a completely different way. And that goes to show that both... The Force Awakens CG character model was fantastic. And what they're doing in this new one is a really great use of technology as well. Like, (coughs) that droid stands up. And all I'm thinking is, that's the coolest astromech droid we've ever seen since we first saw an astromech
0: droid. Yeah, no kidding. I love
1: that design so much. It is, in all of the stuff that we saw in Season 1 of The Mandalorian, that is the thing that stands out to me the most. And I go like... I need the action figure, and I need it immediately. I want to own that thing um, because it's just so cool looking. The way that even like the dome is separated from the from the body of it just a little bit. Um, and it's just on these like and the and the the sound effects that they use for it are the C3PO servo motor mechanics. Um, so it's just, like, it's that really subtle thing of, like, just immediately making it Star Wars because they're using the classic sound library and not using Battle Droid sounds or something new, right? It's, mm-hmm. like, just to tie that in. Like, I, man, they just, they I think that they they nail it on every front and they, they use the budget to the best of their ability. It's yeah. a TV show, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I As someone who's such a fan of the animated stuff, it's, like, it's not about the medium. It's not about um, the technology or the techniques. It's about the storytelling at the end of the day for me. And Star Wars is, I think to a lot of people, it's a series of movies. And then if you care, you can go watch a TV show or like a cartoon or read a book or something. To me, Star Wars is so much bigger than 10 movies. Right. Like or yep. however many movies there, are. how many movies are there? now? Eleven. Um, it's so much bigger than that. It, like, and it has been for us, I think, for a really long time. So to me, it's like, yeah, you do you do what you got to do. Are you telling a good story? That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Um, and they do tell a great story in both the larger sense and then in those smaller moments where this droid stands up and you go, well, that guy's got a background. That guy's got a history right like like somebody built that droid for this purpose and who was that person and why did they use what they used to build it was that astromech droid an astro droid before or has it always been used for this purpose was it parts that were put together just to make just to do this or was it at one point a, a a rebel astromech droid right like like And I don't need to know. I don't need answers to that. Just the fact that seeing it on screen makes me go, cool. There's more to that character. That's what good Star Wars storytelling is, is that when we look around every corner, it's bigger than it's it's bigger than just our core characters. It's a world that they live in. Right.
0: Yeah. So I Mm -hmm. I have to run. Yeah. You got to take off. uh, But uh, (coughs) anyway, uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on or for me having coming on. And uh, I would love to come back and do more episodes uh, after obviously after this one. And uh, yeah. You know, everyone, thank you for uh, listening to the show with me. And uh, like I said, I, I love the series. I think this episode was great. There hasn't been a bad episode. Um, and uh, yeah, I will talk to you all soon. Yeah. Okay. All right. Later, Paul. Thanks, right Paul. Back. Bye,
1: guys. Okay. Uh, Tim, let's, let's kind of power through some more of this episode. Um, let do it. The next thing we get is the um, the Inferno Trooper, Incinerator Trooper, which is actually designed, I think, from the Force Unleashed. Um <laughs> That they that they brought in that they just used uh, for the flame trooper and mm-hmm. uh, he comes in he's gonna smoke them out burn them out as Moff Gideon says but uh, we get a great moment with the child and he, yeah. uh, he just uses the force that is how the force works to, yeah <laughs> to turn Han's quote around on him um, but before we got to that point I yeah. just gotta say I love that
2: battle sequence we got with the mandalorian and grief car oh, yeah. and Kara yeah just i guess we didn't really taking talk about down that. the stormtroopers and of course i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that brief eight <laughs> seconds of death troopers versus the mandalorian and just how cool it was for me seeing two of my favorite costume designs in yeah. star wars just duking it out in that brawl it was amazing death troopers got some good punches in there yeah. only if their armor was the strongest best car they might have <laughs> taken
1: <laughs> up the mandalorian but no story uh, is not so great Yeah. yeah. But I
2: love that. Yeah. Yeah, It
1: is a great action sequence and we kind of get, we get, we get callbacks to all throughout the season of like, oh yeah, this this, we've seen that the these three characters are pretty badass. You get to see them all together um, fighting like that. Um, Yeah. So the, so the child uses the force, uh, but the Mandalorian has been essentially mortally wounded. um, uh, But when, when Gideon, blows up the battery unit for the, for the E-Web, the power generator source or whatever. Um, and, uh, there's kind of a moment of like, uh, unfortunately the child has passed out from using the force to take out the, the, the flame trooper. Um, so he can't heal. I, I, and the Mandalorian's like, just go, just go without me here. Take this necklace, take the kid. Um, and I, 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 uh, the IG Eleven stays behind to to try and help him, and uh, and and we get the removal of the helmet. We get the, his face reveal, and one of the things that I really love about this is that he's been such a <clears throat> that it really drives home what that helmet does. Like the the reason why that helmet is cool and why the Mandalorians use that helmet design, um, because you pull that helmet off and underneath it you see the face of. Uh, a scared man who's afraid to die yeah and i i love that and is, some people i don't think are are super like they wanted it to be more of like a cool batman reveal sort of thing like of like oh he's a badass a, this is cool face and to me it's like, like takes no, it no. off
2: before a big battle or something like that yeah. or let's yeah. not hide uh, behind
1: mask <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like no i like this i like Same. seeing the reality of it that he is as much as he is the mandalorian and we've come to know that he's definitely formidable and he's not one to trifle with he he lives up to the name of the mandalorian um and to that legacy he is a man um and and that means that he is he is mortal and and he knows it and he thinks he's going to die and he's prepared he's like he's like no I'd rather die uh he's like he's like go ahead I'd rather that you kill me than those than then some dirty imps or whatever and uh, I the, the ig11 removes the helmet and and sprays him down with some back to spray and we get a reconciliation between between these two characters and particularly with um din learning that not all droids are battle droids right um mm-hmm. and uh, I I I loved it i can I kind of liked the the that that the that the episode slowed down here and we got this this moment between these two characters, because otherwise IG 11 sacrifice in a few minutes, isn't going to really mean anything. Right. It means something because of this. Um, and especially because of the, the joke, you you suffered damage to your central processing unit. (laughs) And Din goes, you mean my brain? And he's like, yes, that was a joke. It was meant to put you at ease. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's a Taika. That's a Taika. And obviously it's Taika performing it as well. So it's perfect.
2: Yeah, it was a great moment. I will say I was surprised. (laughs) they yeah. did reveal his face this early because i thought they were going to go through the whole series <laughs> without you him showing so? his face so that yeah. would be like a serious finale reveal but i'm totally cool with them doing it now no no,
1: just, no living being so that we might get to see his face again in the future but
2: yeah it's like for the reasons you said it just works so good and just humanizing him even more so yeah in this moment just and having that good Really, or that reconciliation, yeah. as you said, with him in IG-11, which just adds to his sacrifice coming up in a bit. So, yeah, it was this great all around.
1: And I, I think it's important to connect the adult Din with the child Din um, and to prepare us for the next scene. So we go like he catches up to everybody else in the sewers and IG-11's remove the grate and they catch up and uh, I, they find the covert and it's just a pile of armor. And everybody's gone, and uh, and then the the armor comes out, and uh, I they ask like, is everybody dead? And she's like, some some may have escaped, and gotten off world, um. And I uh, and and there's kind of the moments of like, him him grabbing grief and he's like did you do this did you is this was this the bounty hunters and it's like no we like they're bounty hunters like once the fighting stopped everybody just kind of melted away like it's like they're not they're not zealots right like they're not gonna go after like it's not it's not personal it's business right that was basically basically what they're saying is like no you they came to defend you you left once the fighting was over and it was determined that that the mandalorians had won Everybody went their separate ways. Nobody's, nobody's in this for the, for the the glory of battle, right? Like that's not what it's about. Um, they're they're bounty hunters. They want to make some money. The, the the quarry got away. What's the point in fighting? I. Uh, and then and then the armor comes out and is like, no, it wasn't that. It was so we're we're led to believe. I think it was the Imperials, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that they came down and more than likely it was probably. Uh, some of Gideon's Imperials coming ahead of time. I imagine it would have been the Death Troopers. Yeah. Um And so like again, environmental storytelling. We don't really get the full picture, but we don't really need it. It's not important. Um it's important that it happened. It's not important how it happened. Uh, so we we move from that into uh she's she's salvaging stuff. She won't leave. She's gotta salvage everything. It's her job. Uh this is the way. And uh and then she, she I love it and she's like, Let me see what all this big fuss is about. It's like as so many characters have in this in this season and sees it and, and she's like, This is the one you hunted and then saved and then he says, Yes, and then saved me. Um and then she explains it and he and, and she's like, I this is familiar to me. I and I love this description. She kinda goes through it, it's like, Oh, the Mandalore the Great once fought an order of sorcerers called the Jedi I love that, like, that's where we're at, 27 mm-hmm. years removed from, <laughs> from the, the, the Jedi purge, is that they're sorcerers. They're sorcerers. I love it, because it's just like, this is what Obi-Wan said. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. We see the Jedi as warriors of peace and justice in the Old Republic. The Mandalorians see them as sorcerers not to be trusted. Right, they're the enemy of Mandalore. They're great, and it's and she's like, so they're an enemy. It's like not this one, right? Like clearly, you know, mm-hmm. like, like there's some. This is different, and and uh, and she's like, no, this one's a foundling, buddy. Uh, and 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 he's given a new mission, which is to reunite it, cause it, He's like, so it, it should be trained in in the way, and she's like, no way, this thing would die so fast. <laughs> I love that. That she's like, no, be real, buddy. We're not going to put a set of armor on baby Yoda. That's dumb. Although I have seen some fan art with the that. fan <laughs> art is fine. I uh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love the fun. fan art of it, but in terms of real storytelling, yeah. it's like, that's of not course. where this is going. She's like, no, you have to re- like, it's a foundling, So now it's your responsibility, but you can't train it. So you have to reunite it with its people. And he's like, you need me, you want me to take this to a bunch of evil sorcerers that are going to kill me. And he's, and she's like, well, just, just, this is your job now um, until you, until you accomplish this, uh, you are as its father. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's why I part... say we needed to see his face because we needed to know that he's a, that he's a person. First. Yeah. Um,
2: this is the part that I just love and just how it sets this series up for so many cool possibilities down the line in future seasons, yeah. whether it's just season two or just the story thread for the whole series, because this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning where I did not picture this series going this route of trying to deliver a baby of Yoda species back to its home world. But and that's what I was so excited about when we got yeah. that reveal in the first episode. Yeah. And I was expecting that baby Yoda was just going to be a story thread for season one and it would get resolved yeah. in the season. And then season two would be something entirely different. But the fact that it looks like this is going to be the thrust of the show now that just has me excited where if the yeah. actual end game for the series is we see, the mandalorian taking baby yoda back to the homeworld of yoda and we've learned that information yeah i mean that's going to be incredible so i was just super excited about what this season finale set up but also i'll resolve too in its own right for what the course of the story played out for this whole first season but what's going to go beyond it man it's just so exciting (laughs) to think about the possibilities of what we're going to see
1: yeah, absolutely. So she she gets she gives him the the signet, uh, the the mudhorn signet, and says you're you're now a clan of two because the 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 child helped him defeat the mm-hmm. mudhorn. So uh, it's a it's a Mandalorian by by action by deed, um, yep. which is <laughs> cool in itself. Now definitely got to view Baby Yoda as a Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. um, and then she gives uh, in in a similar way of like cutting off the uh, the Jedi braid. She gives him his jet pack. Now he's a real Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, and then they leave and she fights a bunch of stormtroopers and it's so epic and ridiculous. Yeah. We've been going on for a long time. So I'm going to, we're going to power through this. We got to kind of wrap up.
2: I just I, will say that one thing I liked how she took out all the stormtroopers, but usually in those things where someone's laid, like left behind, they take mm-hmm. out a few soldiers, but then more soldiers come or even more powerful ones come and they end up dying and sacrificing themselves. This didn't, didn't happen, happen yeah. here. No, I just love that. So she's going to be around, and I think we'll see her again in season two.
1: Um, so then they get to the lava river. I already talked about the astromech and how awesome it is. Um, IG Eleven sacrifices himself, and they get to the end of the river, and it's like, oh, there's stormtroopers waiting for them. Um, and uh, IG Eleven walks out, and the the promise of the uh, of the the thermal detonator is finally realized. The self-destruct. Yeah, self destruct. He 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 kills all the stormtroopers with that. They get out, and we're like, okay, yeah, we did the thing. But then a TIE fighter shows up, and we know this is Moff Gideon. And we get the great line where I, I, Grief turns, and he's like, we get the baby to do the magic hand thing. Come on, yeah. baby, do the magic hand <laughs> thing. And it just waves at him, and, and he's like, uh, I'm out of ideas. Yeah. So the Mando <laughs> sticks on the jetpack. And uh, thank God for uh, uh, back to spray, because otherwise this wouldn't have happened. Oh yeah, um, the cure all. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great of sex Machina. Uh, he uh, he slaps on the jetpack, he launches just at the right time, and uses his his uh, uh, whipcord to to attach and pull himself on, uh, and uh, and and puts a couple of charges. Although, no, he said that he was out of charges, but then he restocked. That's right. He yeah. restocked. So that makes sense. Never mind. Uh, he puts a couple, he drops one charge, but then puts two more charges onto the wing of it and, and takes the TIE fighter out and it crashes. Um, he, he sticks the landing, perfect superhero landing. Uh, and uh, uh, and then we get just the denouement, right? Uh, Kara's going to stick around and uh, clean up the remaining Imperials. Um, which will be interesting because Gideon is not gone, um, but we'll see if he turns tail or if he, if we get more of that later. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, grief is okay with this. He's like, yeah, with this little. She's maybe maybe she can she can help me out with uh, reestablishing the guild here. Um, and I love his line. There's like some of my favorite people are bounty hunters. <laughs> I, I and then I I. The Mando takes off, and uh, he's holding the child, and we get, like I said, that that great over-the-shoulder look down, um, which matches when Din was rescued as a child, showing that like the his arc has come full circle. He is now um, the Death Watch Mando that saved him, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. So it's good. a really great sort of yeah. uh, uh, fulfillment.
2: But it, that would have been a great ending to this episode of the season if it ended on that they shot. They could have just
1: ended on yeah. that shot and gone to the stranger from the previous episode with the spurs. And, uh, and we could have gotten that reveal, but we don't, we get them going back to the ship. We get, uh, uh Quill's grave. Um, and then the reveal that the child still has the necklace and he's like, you hold on to that. Um, because he's a little Mando baby Jedi. So cool. um, Three three great tastes that taste great together. Mando, Yoda, Jedi, yeah. all, and a baby. It's just so good. Um, and then of course we get the reveal that we've talked about so much. I don't think we need to go into too much more detail about it. Of Gideon, he's survived, and uh, and he's he's got the dark saber. Which is like how great that look. Yeah, we're life, saying actually. about the e web. Paul was saying about other stuff. It's like it's this great for non animation fans, people just watch the live action stuff, now they're like, What is that thing? And they've got so much great Star Wars to go watch as a result. But for those of us who know what it is, it's just such a great reveal of wow, the yeah. last time we saw that it was being handed to Bo Katan to to reunite the the Mandalorian clans and, and uh you know, fulfill that destiny. And uh and here it is in the hands of an ISP agent who was a part of the 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 purge of the purges they've called it so the mandalorian purge uh, it's so just a great. perfect
2: teaser that you can ask for to end off the season and the episode because it's not a cliffhanger no. but it just gives you so much excitement for us to come but then also for like you said us hardcore fans who watch the animated series so many more questions for us to think about for the rest of the year until season yeah. 2 of how he came into possession yeah. of that knowing where it was left laugh- last left with Bo-Katan. So it it was just awesome. I was expecting them to play off the tease of, you know, the figure we heard saw in episode five and who that was going to be. I thought that was going to be the tag end for the season, but no, I'm sure we're going to get that reveal at some point, but for right now, this was just such a great tease. that just connects to the overall, uh, theme of the series and the Mandalorians and their history. Cause the dark saber is such an important part of Mandalorian yeah. history that it just makes total sense for it to show up in this series. And I think going to play a big role upcoming in the upcoming seasons.
1: So the fact that this is all tying into Mandalore and the history of Mandalore and, and Gideon's got the dark saber. And now he's, uh, I, Din is now like sort of the hope of, um, kind of reconciling the, the between Um, the Jedi and, and the Mandalorians, I think sort of like forging, I think potentially leading towards another, uh, uh, what is it? Tar that created the Darksaber sort of like as leading towards that Mm -hmm. being a possibility again of another Mandalorian Jedi. Um, yeah, like we're kind of, kind of building towards something of that, of that caliber, and, uh, uh, yeah. And then on top of that, we have this this very um, mysterious thread of of that stranger. With I'm just calling that character the stranger until we have something else to call him. Them. It might not be a him. Um, and the hope is that it's it's Cad Bane or or somebody of that sort of uh, uh, history. And being that Dave Filoni's brought so much of the animated stuff into it, that's like that's possible. But um we don't know how long a Duro's lives um one of the other possibilities is that it's Boba and now that now that the the sort of the fate of Mandalore is in the balance <clears throat> I think that kind of makes the most sense because there's going to be a little bit of a thing of like Man- Boba Fett's one of the most famous Mandalorians there is certainly as far as Mandalorian bounty hunters go but he's not a true Mandalorian mm-hmm. Right? So now it's like, okay, we've got the true Mandalorian who's not from Mandalore either, but like so it's kind of, it is kind of going in a Game of Thrones direction of like, which one of them is the rightful leader of Mandalore going forward. And obviously we're going to pull for Din, and Boba's going to be a bad guy if it is him. But yeah, I love it, man. I love it. We're setting all this up. Building towards this. It's so good. Um... Let's just jump into the mailbag real quick. Uh, I posted uh, the Mando gets down to business. Uh, nope, that's not right. That's not what I posted. That's from chapter six. I just basically posted like the, the, the season's over. What, what did you think? Um, what was, what was kind of your favorite reveal or whatever? Um, and I, I what was your favorite part. In, and Steven Yip on Facebook uh, posted everything was so good in this episode, but the part blew my mind the part that blew my mind and scared my wife was when I yelled dark saber. <laughs> um, also I can't believe Quill is dead. I didn't see him actually hit by a blaster shot. So I was hoping he was just knocked out. Also, I G 11 gone too. So sad. Uh, Oh, and the jokes about the stormtroopers trying to practice shooting. That was pretty good too. Uh, John Morales posted, uh, it's all great, but some standout moments after first watch the child waving back at grief. Didn't feeling sad for I G 11, uh, din's baby yoda signet it's not a baby yoda signet it's a mudhorn that's the signet is the mudhorn uh and the dark saber uh an incredible finale for part one of the story of mando and cub which i uh, that's a good reference yeah you cub. can totally make call that to, like classic story <laughs> and then kyle not to be excluded so we do have all three elements of the saga continues <laughs> chiming in on this episode uh kyle avery uh slim avery over on twitter i uh, posted uh, tweeted at us uh the whole episode was great but the final shot had me screaming at the tv what a fantastic surprise to end on and then over on ind- instagram black james 20 sorry black underscore james 20 uh commented mando taking off his helmet so yeah uh lots of really great stuff that we've talked yep. about uh, so many already. things you could pull from from this episode yeah. that just stick with you <laughs> yeah um what a great episode what a great season um great conversation uh, today Thank you uh uh Tim for for joining. Uh Oh yeah, of course. Thanks I everybody. When... Sorry, go ahead.
2: I was going to say I knew when we were all scheduling out for what episodes to do and like the finale had to be one that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure was going to be a one to and not I, miss. I should have known. Gonna...
1: I should have known when it was you and Paul coming on that this was going to go over Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> 2 hours, which I think it, I think it will end up being in total. So uh, yeah. I did not disappoint, yeah. Man. <laughs> Um, awesome. Thank you, Tim, for joining. Uh, thanks, Paul, uh, again, for, for being a part of this episode. Thank you to everybody who's hosted on this season. Um, obviously, uh, my faithful co-pilot, Matt the Crankster Cranky. Uh, we had Amanda Konkin from Quiver Podcast and the Thundercrack Podcast on the second episode. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kyle has also been on. Uh, Tim, you, you've done a couple of... Uh, paul has did another one as well uh who else did we have did, was there anybody oh jason hunt from jason, the Wampus Lair yeah. came in and and did an episode with you and he did an episode with me carl bailed and is lame and i'm not gonna ever let him live it down <laughs> um <clears throat> but yeah i yeah it's been a great season um thank you to everybody who was on thank you for everybody to everybody who listens um And uh, we're going to take a break with Star Wars uh, Faster, More Intense, Uh, but um, obviously you can continue listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues, Uh, and um, we'll have more episodes of Rebel Cells. Rebel Cells isn't going to go anywhere because we've got Resistance up until the end of January, and then we don't have an official date for when Clone Wars starts, but I'm imagining it'll be the first couple weeks of February, at which point... We'll see if they're going to go week by week or if they're going to drop it all at once. Um, but in either case, we'll be coming back week week after week to do individual episode recaps for Clone Wars Season 7 over on Rebel Cells. So lots of great Star Wars content on Thunder Quack to, to tide you over. Once Clone Wars is done, Matt and I will be back with more faster, more intense. And uh, basically every week will be like a different topic. So um, we'll come up with different topics. We'll ask you guys to weigh in. And, uh, and we'll also have some different guest hosts and stuff coming back as well. So I uh, look forward to that. Uh, lots of great stuff uh, in this, the new year uh, 2020. Uh, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Faster, More Intense. See you next time, everybody. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. Faster, more intense is part of the Thunderquack podcast network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts. actually gonna start recording here. I'll say I, I over the course of the seven hours, um, I went into it thinking like like when you guys give your kind of initial thoughts, I'm like, okay, I think I'm gonna probably be on Kyle's side more than anything. And then going through it everything that Kyle, defends i i i think he does an okay job of everything that he doesn't like he has a terrible reason for not liking it (laughs) and then paul you you like defend all of your feelings on it perfectly and i'm like okay Mm -hmm. i totally understand why you like the movie as much as you do love it as much as you do uh and but i think i'm probably falling somewhere with tim of like there's definitely some flaws in this movie, but it doesn't matter because it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was funny. It was really funny. Yeah. To I was actually through. pretty surprised Kyle had that many nitpicks in it. <laughs> I, there were so many times where I was like, I was yelling the same thing at Kyle that 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 you were, Paul. But be
0: like,
1: and like, you, it's funny because I'll hear I'll hear the the um like the sort of silent protests of like. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, cause Kyle's going off on like, yeah, but they don't explain how the force works. And it's like, I don't think that we wanted 45 minutes of midichlorians in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. That wouldn't have made yeah. it better. That definitely wouldn't have fixed some of the things that, that I'm not yeah. super jazzed on, but I don't know. I just, it's just Palpatine. It's not Palpatine himself. The Palpatine Ray thing. I, 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 I see a different path that would have been a better way to go but
0: well I, and and for me it's I, I totally get that like i don't i don't i don't, I don't and this is what i always i always say i do i totally understand why that wouldn't work for people yeah and for me it's it's just it's such a it's such a better outcome than ray rando to me it's just it's to me it saves the mythological fairy tale aspect of, of the skywalker saga yeah. and again and again it's because of I, I do what ultimately it's not the reasoning of why in the story that it works for me. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's ultimately why they did it. The idea of having Palpatine, the guy who pretty much tortured and tormented the Skywalkers forever. Yeah. You know, the irony of the fact that his descendant, only descendant, is now going to take adopt that name as, yeah. you know theirs. i there's there's a beautiful like thing about that. Was it handled beautifully? No, but I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> that film's fault either. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's to me, it's it's that stems from a problem at the very start. It, so it's
1: it's. I went into the whole thing on on the latest Rebel cells. So even if you're not watching Resistance, I would say like like you listen to that okay, cool. like the first 45 minutes of it probably.
0: Oh, oh awesome! Oh yeah, I'll and check that out.
1: And, uh, and I talk about so like I would have preferred that she was a Kenobi. That was that mm-hmm. was always my thing, and I go into it in, in a lot of detail in the episode. So I'll let you listen to it. And I won't I won't reiterate everything here, but basically, <clears throat> I've said since the Clone Wars that obi-wan and satine are like the perfect mirror foil to anakin and padme Mm -hmm. anakin and padme are Mm -hmm. a dysfunctional crappy relationship they they don't actually love each other they're just in love with the idea of each other right so and that's why that's why everything it's a tragedy they're romeo and juliet their theme is called across the stars which is just swapping around star-crossed right like Mm -hmm. it's the prequels are are romantic. They are uh, uh, like Renaissance Shakespeare, essentially, like it's an epic poem as opposed to the more serial pulp adventure of of the original trilogy. That's supposed to be part of the point. Is that they're it's they're like the worst Romeo and Juliet ever because their stupid tryst ends up destroying an entire culture of of uh, warrior knights and uh, plunging the galaxy into darkness for. I guess now we can say like 30 years, Um, 30 plus years. Right. So I, but that's like the whole thing there. And then with Obi-Wan and Satine, it's like they, they meet at the same age. They have the same beginning to that story, but both of them make the right choice and go like, no, this does not work. But like we can't, we can't do this, and like not. Let's keep it a secret. It would be really cool if we just kept this a secret. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be really cool if, in the same way that that um, Padme is pregnant, and then like immediately tells Anakin, and is like, "I'm pregnant. This is great." Um, And they they don't appropriately handle anything from that point forward. (laughs) They just. For someone who ruled a planet, her problem-solving and planning skills are just not there. But uh, <laughs> uh, if, if, if Satine were to have gotten pregnant, she would have been like, oh, I cannot tell Obi-Wan. As a matter of fact, no one can know about this. And I'm going to, like, someone else is going to raise this kid, and, uh, and he'll never know. Right, uh, and uh, and for us to find out that like yeah he's got a, a son or a daughter, I would prefer a daughter out there somewhere, and that is the line that that Rey is descended from, and because it would, for me, Obi Wan being my favorite character, it would give a full circle on his part of the story, and it would also. The dyad thing, I was like, dyad? Like, now we have to explain what a dyad is to everybody. I
0: love the dyad. Oh my I love God, the I love concept
1: it. of it. Like, I love the core concept of it. But I would have preferred if it ended up being a trinity of Palpatine, uh, I, Ben, and Ray being mm. Palpatine Skywalker Solo. Or uh, Kenobi, right? Mm. Um, and what that would have done is it actually would have tied back into the father... The son and the daughter better, right? Because it's kind of it's almost there, but it's kind of yeah, weird it's maybe because just the it's son and like, daughter type. Yeah, of you <clears throat> Unless they go back, and they retcon it that Palpatine is the one who created Anakin and Shmi, but which they're gonna do. I like. I'm, yeah, I'm convinced I'm they're gonna retcon you. that because yeah. it's it's the only thing that gives us concrete stuff is one of the comics, which the comics. The Disney comics have been just a total crapshoot of, like, this might be one of the best comics ever, Star Wars comics ever written. It might also be one of the most obnoxious things you've ever read. Like Luke Skywalker on a speeder bike fighting Darth Vader. And you're like, that doesn't... But. No, because he doesn't that's like, meet him well,
0: that's until the like very first. That's like the very first issue, and yeah. they or the first two issues, and then they. I know it gets I, better. I, I know it I, gets
1: better, but like, I, I know, but then I he know. fights Boba Fett, and it's like, it, it, I like Luke Skywalker is not a superhero. This is why people don't like him in the Last Jedi because they think that he's a superhero, and he's well, not well, a superhero. Hold
0: on. he is kind of a superhero <laughs> though. I see. It, 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 but, because, but, no, he's, show, he's we'll arthur we'll he's debate. arthur
1: but he's not a superhero right like it, <laughs> people want him to be people want him to be guy uh, star killer from the force unleashed and it's like the force agree, unleashed yes. is dumb too i love the force unleashed word, but... word, word.
0: okay I'll, I'll say this he's a superhero in a sense to where i think all jedi are superheroes mm-hmm. basically like in the, I mean, I, I don't like saying that for Star Wars because I, I think they are it's it's its own mystical thing. Yeah. But in the end, like because Skywalker is that powerful bloodline, it does <laughs> elevate him, and that's the only thing I would say. And then and, and I think we're talking about two different things too, because yeah. I would, cause I think you're talking oh. about the power level. I'm talking about from just the fact that he is the you know part of a strong bloodline. Yeah. There is he is stronger in the force than some other people would be who are just naturally strong in the force, and I think that's kind of the point of. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if I talked about the talked about this on the show or not, but it was the <laughs> um, it was the part right. I, I was talking to Tim about it for sure. Was I was thinking about what if they talked about like the Jedi, the the whole Force dyad thing that like mm-hmm. Palpatine brings up, which I think is brilliant, because what if the Jedi reason they don't procreate yeah. is not just because of just um you know attachment but what if it actually ends up creating too much of a powerful force users yeah that they can't control because they yeah because yeah you de-
1: you definitely went into this on the podcast
0: okay yeah, yeah like to me there is I think there there's room to really write yeah. and good drama there you know what I mean yeah for sure yeah that it's
1: not it's not an enforced thing of like no attachment it's like it's a it's a population control Mm -hmm. issue of like we will create super jedi if we do this like we're like it's a it's a a, an anti Aryan sort of (laughs) ideology it's like no no no. we don't want to create a super race of powerful jedi because if one of them turns everything falls apart yeah look what happens (laughs) yeah um yeah, no, I li- I do like that idea. I like that as a justification for why the Jedi Order holds that belief structure. Um the other thing that I like about the dyad, like just to defend it, I think that um, if if in the future we can f- discover that that's why the the rule of 2 is a thing and that's why the master apprentice relationship is is mm. what it is in Star Wars, like yeah. that's that's where that comes from from the old Jedi order from like the ancient Jedi order is that like um it's not just a matter of like oh here's a Jedi master and they pick a padawan it's like no 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 back in the day you used to let the force guide you to your to your apprentice because there would be a connection like an actual like literal force connection between between two four sensitive people and that would create like like in the best of circumstances that would be a dyad and that's mm-hmm. what the master apprentice relationship is. Because <clears throat> there's that moment where where Ben and Ray square off. And I love the fact that like Ben doesn't say it. he says ow. That's all he Yeah, it's all says. It says so, so amazing. good. They square off against Palpatine together and that shot is so perfect and so powerful. And it immediately, for me, evokes Anakin and Obi Wan, but it also evokes Anakin and Ahsoka, right? Like it just, like it yeah. kind of just, it puts you in this. And if you've if you've listened to the or read the the book uh, Master and Apprentice, like oh, yeah. that there. If they had known where the hell they were going with this movie, which I they they did not obviously, yeah, like, they obviously, just, yeah. Everybody's just flying by the seat of their pants. Master and Apprentice would have been, uh, uh, uh like uh, laying the groundwork for the idea of the dyad and what it means, and yeah. and what's his face, uh, the 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 guy that was Qui Gon's previous, no, oh. Dooku's previous previous uh, uh, pupil oh, um, before Qui Gon.
0: Sifo Dyas. No, no. Oh. Yeah, Someone I know who you're
1: talking about. I just can't remember his name. <laughs> the yeah. guy that's pops possibly still out there somewhere. Oh, the, um, the, the he guy. He was the
0: regent ruler of that planet they yeah. went to. Oh, he's like, well, in the audiobook he has like the, uh, I always imagine Jeff Bridges. What's his name?
1: Yeah, he's um, got yeah, he's got like a bit of that draw, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really liked, by the way. What was I love name? that
0: character. I can't remember his
1: name, though. It's, oh, gosh. It's Star it's, it's Wars playoff. names, right?
0: it's it's a, it's a, it's a playoff of a it's a playoff of something. Let me go look for it. Cause yeah. it is a playoff of something. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Like I would have loved it if that character, like this is obviously retconning and like, like 2020 hindsight, but it would have been great if that character would have been talking about things of like, of like, Oh yeah. The connection between a master and an apprentice goes back to the ancient Jedi. And it was, it, it was about the dyad and that's what mm-hmm. you're, that's what you're trying to achieve with another with another mm-hmm. Jedi and for it to, to be less of like a, less of like a, a, a thing that like a, like a serendipity, which is kind of the way that like, it's a, it's a really great deus ex machina for Rise of Skywalker, but it would be mm-hmm. really great if something else in the lore established. So like, no, 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 you can achieve this with another Jedi.
0: Like, Mm -hmm. and,
1: and for us to go back and be like, look, it hasn't been seen in a, in a generation. Like Palpatine's like, oh, I haven't seen this in a generation. it's like, yeah. So some of the Jedi of the old Republic, like in the last days of the old Republic could have exhibited this. And it would be great to be like, to be like, yeah, I, I bear Sophie and the, and the other one, but the uh, Luminara and Dali, it's like, yeah, they, they had that for a time, but then something happened between the two of them. Right, rail
0: Avaros that's his name rail Avaros
1: yeah there you go yeah yeah um yeah like for us to for us to like discover like oh the dyad's been all over the 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 saga we just didn't know what it was called before right like I just I like it when when something can reveal itself and then be like the force healing thing of like we see it in Mando and we see it in Rise of Skywalker Mm -hmm. at the same time it's like this isn't a magical one-off thing it's like no this is something that Jedi can do it's just not something that all Jedi do all of the time
0: I would, I would, I would, I would, uh, I, I, I push back a little bit only yeah. because it, it definitely diminished – it would diminish Ray and Ben's special bond, and that's where I would say, I think we, I would love to get more like stories and and fleshing things out because yeah. I think you could, like you said, they're gonna retcon and I think they should. I think whoever's in charge of creative decisions for Lucas yeah. or Star Wars. And not Lucasfilm. I don't care who's covering Lucasfilm. Doesn't really matter ultimately. They, whoever is in charge of story, whether it be Kathleen, at a Year, or whatever, they need to sit down. They need to concise everything, yeah. retcon some things. I think what they should do is they should retcon that the prophecy of the Chosen One yeah. should be looked at and said, oh, two as one, the force dyad. You could even say that that was ultimately where the balance came in. You could retcon it like mm. that, like you know, as or. Because even like Yoda says, you know, prophecy misreads may have been. You know, yeah, so yeah. You, we don't... There's open go, for
2: that. For sure.
0: Yeah, so I think there's room yeah. to retcon a lot of things and make it a lot more concise. Yeah. And then you can say, hey, let's establish some rules for the Force Diad and actually make it, and we talk about it in an, an old... uh republic or jedi films you can reference these things as like big deals so that way it only enhances it later on in the the saga films and i think my
1: my only i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep a lot of this conversation in this episode that's
0: That's fun that works for me um
1: i my only issue is that in the last jedi snoke says that he bridged the gap between the two of them Right. And and then in Rise, uh, Palpatine is surprised at the fact that they're a dyad, right? Oh, well, I,
0: I, yeah, I've got I've got a theory on this.
1: So to me, to me that I that would make sense to me. Not necessarily make sense, but I think it would work for me the best if we discover that like, it's not that it's not that they, they just like like automatically are a dyad, but they that when. Snoke and Palpatine bridge that gap between the two of them. They created the potential for the dyad.
0: And then it, Mm. and then it
1: developed over the course of that year. Um, and I would love to find out themselves. Like they had that little push, but yeah, (laughs) I would love to, I would love to discover in, in stories that come out, uh, for the time in between the two movies that, that when, when, uh, Kylo Ren, contacts ray at the beginning of rise of skywalker isn't the first time since the end of of uh the last jedi that there were other times in between there where he was trying to get through to her and she was like blocking him out right like actively blocking him out because that also puts puts us more properly in her headspace at the beginning of the movie where she's a little bit out of sorts and she's trying to and like why she's like be with me be with me be with me and and it's like her heart's not fully in it because what she actually wants as we discover by the end of the movie is that she doesn't really care about the rest of the jedi she wants to save ben solo and that's where her mind is always at like though like throughout the entirety of rise of skywalker it's like it's two things i'm gonna kill palpatine for killing my parents and i'm gonna and and i i if ben solo were here he would help me <laughs> and so when Boy. he shows up she's like This is great.
0: This is what I wanted. He's pretty, yeah. and
1: he's a nice guy now. He's not an abusive <laughs>
0: asshole. <laughs> I would say, I would say the, the <coughs> how would I would explain the Force, Dad? Because I actually yeah. think it should be already established that the, he just didn't know about it, and they didn't know about it. They just thought it. They just uh, sensed the Force mm-hmm. because there's that scene. There's, the Force Awakens. There is a bond between them, and you see that because yeah. when he reads into his mind, or she reads into his her mind, she pulls from him and vice versa, and surprises yeah. him. And he even said like how does that even work and then she kind of takes things from him from there it's like her force abilities got stronger once she interacted with the Kylo second Ren. she
1: connected to him yep. yeah, yeah exactly
0: yeah, yeah. so for me that was already established and then you could through Snoke Palpatine thought "Well, I bridge their minds and whatever but we don't know that he knew they were connecting like they yeah. were in The Last Jedi like how, how um, they could like you know feel the, the rain yeah. and everything I don't think he knew the severity of how much it was and and that's what I would, and that to me seems almost obvious because it, they are so connected. And then, and that after Kylo Ren, it's revealed who she is. He realizes that we're two side, like we're that dyad, like we're yeah, the yeah. we're that that thing that we're we're connected, but we're through a different. It's I don't know. I love that idea so much that i just don't know i would want to undermine the power of their connection and i know i know that's kind of an unpopular thing and that's just with with you guys, with you necessarily but like i think with a lot of people would want to say that the, the natural building would be more more sustainable and, and justify them having feelings for each other but yeah. i just from the, from the again, I'm very much about defending the mythological missi- mysticism of Star Wars and the so- Skywalker saga, mm-hmm. that I would love that it already be established and that what brings them together naturally rather than like, I'm attracted to this boy it, to, in my opinion anyway mm-hmm. so but this is like, but again, th- the beauty of the Rise of Skywalker that I think the Last Jedi doesn't give us, whether you like the Last Jedi or not, is that there's way more meat as far as force abilities and mm-hmm. I think just what it, what it means for star Wars going forward as, f- as far as the force and how it works and all that stuff, there's so much more to talk about and what that's going to be taken from than the last Jedi, even though last Jedi does establish force skyping, which I'm really into, but I also like the idea that it's only, it's pretty limited to what you can do with it because mm-hmm. of how powerful they are with the force dyad. So yeah, even, even that being said, I just think the Rise of Skywalker pushes the pushes the mythology forward, whereas the Last Jedi doesn't really. It just kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know, it's Kylo Ren versus Rey. It's like that's uh, I don't know. yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't want to get into defending the Last Jedi because then we'll never talk about the Mandalorian. So that's very uh,
0: true. We might as well discuss. You, you
1: are right though. We are gonna we're going we're gonna have this out. We're gonna we're gonna figure it out at some point, but. Um, I uh, 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 like we'll have a we'll have a showdown, but I want to do that in person. I don't want to do that. I we we need to we need to be able to look each other in the eye. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, exactly. I'm with <laughs> you do I'm that because yes, I think yes. that we're kind of like I I mean I think that I probably like Rise of Skywalker more than you like Last Jedi, but um because I know you don't yeah, hate hate it, but but I actually. I have like, issues with yeah, yeah, I like Rise of Skywalker quite a bit. It's just that, you know what, the one thing that is that I will never, ever, ever let go and will never be okay with me is the space battle at the end. We're yeah. on the same page there. Yeah. They showed us something yeah. in that trailer, and they made a big, like, J.J. made a huge promise to us of, like, this is gonna be the biggest space battle you done ever seen in a Star yep. Wars. Yep. And then what was it? It was a bunch of gray stuff shooting lasers at each other. And I, you can't visually distinguish at a like at a glance like who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, what's going on, what's the objective, what is Poe doing? He's mm-hmm. the greatest pilot in the galaxy. He's the greatest pilot in in the Star Wars mythology, right? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he he is. Amazing. And, and I don't care, like, uh, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, people have problems with those movies. I, the only thing that, that I think is 100% objective truth is that Poe is a ridiculously good pilot right? Like, what what we see from him in the TIE Fighter, when he saves everybody on Takadana and then on Starkiller Base, and then against the Dreadnought, like, we see those four things. He does stuff in an X-Wing that Luke and Wedge wish they could do, right? And I've, obviously it's because of better CG technology, whatever, right? But in any case, like, the movie's established that, so, like, he's almost as good a pilot as Anakin Skywalker, and he's not a Jedi. So, I he's, I, I he's He's using the force to do that, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I can see that. That's but uh, I, he just does it like Han Solo. He just doesn't realize that that's what he's doing. Um, it's uh, it's more of just like a second or an extra sense than it is an actual like deep connection to the force. But but you You build up all of that with this character. and then you're like, not only that, but Leia has now made him the leader of the resistance. He is the general. And then he goes, "Okay, I'm gonna split this in half with Finn, which I'm um, okay, that's fine. But like he is the leader of the resistance. he's he's achieved what he was set out to achieve, uh, the promise that we were given in in the last Jedi with like her being like, I, you you failed. <laughs> Why tell him that he failed unless you expect him to be better? So, like, he achieves that. He does it. He's the leader of the Resistance. He's the best pilot in the galaxy. And then what does he do in the third act of the movie? He circles.
0: He, <laughs> yeah. he circles the yeah, battlefield. He and
1: too, in the moment. Like, and, the, and then uh, killing Snap Wexley was a mistake. There were so many mistakes. And, again, I talk about this a lot on Rebel Cells this week of, like, the moment should have been snap is about to go down and poe is like i can't get to you i'm fast i'm good but i'm not that good sort of thing and then that should have been the moment when the aces from star wars resistance come blasting in and like take out the thing and then and then like like lando says no there's more of us and then we get our on your left moment like like uh like kyle said uh and and that's when like we see everybody and then we get cameos of characters, not just the ghost is there in one shot, you know? Uh, right, but anyways, right. What's the point of star Wars resistance? If the ACEs and the Colossus aren't in that final battle, they have a of massive, the they, show you. <laughs> they have a massive <laughs> capital ship that is as big as one of the first order star destroyers. Why, why is that not central to the final battle in the way that mm-hmm. home one was central to, to return of the Jedi, unless it gets destroyed in the last episode of the series. No, but, up, we don't like, like, <laughs> there will not be closure at the end of star Wars resistance. They shut that down. They didn't finish that show.
0: We're really?
1: Gonna... Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Something mm-hmm. happened in the, in the, in, in the process of that series where they were like, we're gonna call it Star Wars Resistance. It's gonna be about this, 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 and this. And then three episodes in, it's like, okay, we're not gonna talk about racing very often. It's not about racing. Uh, we're gonna really double down on this spy thing with Kaz, um, and we're gonna build him towards towards uh, build this towards uh, connecting it to Force Awakens and Last Jedi. And then and then somebody was like, no, 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 we don't know what's happening in Rise of Sky in in Episode Nine. <laughs> everything's in turmoil right now I, uh, you guys need to stall for season two and because season mm. two is just like it's just oh with well, the colossus is a spaceship it's not a little plat like uh, water or like planet bound platform it's a spaceship uh so you mean that we're gonna use this massive capital ship to take the fight to the first order no 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 um it's uh, we're gonna go on grocery runs every week. <laughs>
0: oh, I haven't uh, watched season two. No, years, I know so you I'm haven't. As as I'm gonna give um, you the cliff
1: notes. You really don't need to, in my opinion. No, you can go, if you want there's to. There's some good. There's, good stuff, in there's good stuff
0: in it. There's good stuff in it. But, I will but, say, but, is but, that what it is, Tim? Honestly, so there's
2: definitely episodes that are like that. But then they go out to some places where you know it's kind of cool, like the one where they go to that ancient Sith temple. Like oh, that right. stuff, yep. I wish they did more I, of. But they,
1: but, uh, Paul. I think knowing you, (laughs) the way that I know you at this point, in regards to how you like Star Wars, I think you're gonna end up frustrated by it because they 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 have like flashes of greatness of like oh a a Sith temple cool are we gonna learn something about this no Kaz is gonna touch a thing and it's gonna be a Temple of Doom moment and then we're gonna and then and then we're off to the next episode so every episode this season has been. Oh, we got to go to this planet <clears throat> because we need hyperfuel. Uh, we got to go to this planet because we need uh, the uh, b- we broke. A, we blew a fuse. So we need to get a new fuse box for a thing. Oh, uh, we're running out of food. We need to get food. That's like every episode is like, oh, there's a resistance uh, distress call. We're going to go. We're going to go find that resistance agent and help him and then they help him bring him back and he's like hey kaz you're pretty good in a fight come back to the resistance with me and kaz goes no i'm okay i'm gonna stay here with my friends
0: that was the most recent
1: episode and i was like yeah (laughs) why is this show called star wars resistance if your lead character a is not a hero he's a he's a, a buster keaton comedy character um he shoots the bi- one of the biggest bad guys on the series in the latest episode, and it's a stun blast. And he goes, oh, it's set to stun. Oops. And yeah. you're like, what? <laughs> what just happened? Uh, and, yeah, he, like, refuses to join the Resistance. And it's like, "What? What? what is the point of the show? I don't understand what the point of the show is. And
0: that's, then the fact that they're not in Rise
1: of Skywalker, it's just like, that says to me that, like, they are just running out the clock on this one. They made the episode, so they're going to air them. Um, right, but that this was supposed to build towards something at one point, and then I think I think what happened is that when Colin Trev- Trevorrow got got canned, uh, mm. they can be political about it if they want to. But when that happened and everything got upset, like the the apple cart got overturned, it was like okay, um, we don't know what's going to happen in episode nine now. If it's going to be similar or if it's going to completely change, and it ended up being similar enough that they got story credit but um they couldn't have known that so i think that they told the the resistance writers who are all great writers there's a lot of really really good writers on that on that crew and there's yeah. so much of that crew is is star wars rebels and clone wars alumni right so right. it's like, it, like it's not like there's not good pedigree on that show that show is kneecapped by Disney Channel and and Lucasfilm, it, it, like yeah. there's there's something on the production side stopping that show from being what it was supposed to be. Because Dave Filoni and uh, Dave Filoni, Justin Ridge and and uh, Amy Beth Christensen came up with a concept, and when you look at their concept art, and then you compare it to what the show is, we've gotten three races in the uh, maybe four races in the entirety of the of the series. It was supposed to be like Speed Racer meets Star Wars with a little bit of like like uh, Robotech, Macross thrown hmm. in. Right. And what did it end up? Because like, that's what they were basically saying in the lead up to it. And then what did it end up being? It's ended up being a kid's it's it's a Lego Star Wars show that doesn't have the free reign of being a Lego Star Wars show. Because mm. <laughs> like it wants to be funny and ridiculous, but then it's it's held back by the fact that it's part of the canon. So because like, Freemaker Adventures is phenomenal. It's not canon. It's ridiculous. I mean, like force builders are not a thing until somebody says that they are. Rowan Freemaker has never been mentioned in anything else, but he's an incredibly powerful young Jedi. Um, but I love that show because that show doesn't care that it's not part of canon. It's no, like sure. actually yeah, yeah. the fact that we're not canon means that we can put Darth Vader in an Abu Starfighter and have him say this is so wizard.
0: No, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. Know? No, that's exactly it. Like that's. Which there, puts, it, there, it
1: puts it at the top of my list of, of Star Wars animation. Um, it's like Star Wars Rebels and then Freemaker Adventures uh, and then Clone Wars because Freemaker Adventures just does not give a care about anything.
0: Uh, well, as it shouldn't if it's not no. part of the canon, exactly. right? So. Yeah.
1: Um, anyways, let's start this episode properly <laughs> talk <laughs> about the Mandalorian season finale. <laughs> Clearly, we need to podcast more, Paul. Uh, yes, we do. Yes, lots we do. to talk about.
0: Okay. It's done. Um,